الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين له بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We were in the explanation of the kitab Arba'un al-Nawawiyah and we were in the hadith of Jibreel and we reached a point where Jibreel said to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and أخبرني عن الإسلام Muhammad, tell me about Islam. And when Jibreel asked the Prophet ﷺ to tell him about Islam, the Prophet ﷺ, he told him. And the Prophet said, Al-Islam, an tashhada an la ilaha illallah. The Islam is that you testify that there is none worthy of worship except Allah Azza wa Jalla. And you also testify, wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah. The wow here is connected to وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ And I also testify. The word shahada means two things. Write this down. When you say وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ It entails two things. The first one is أَنْنُطْقُ بِهَا You pronounce it and you utter it. So the person says أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ He says it loud. The word shahada entails to pronounce it and to proclaim it. Number two is أَنْ يَسْمَعَكَ مِنْكَ That other than you hear this. That the person doesn't say shahadu Allah ilaha in a room by himself. But rather he does it in the presence of uh, people. Or he says it in the presence of at least two people. Okay? So that's what it means, ishhad. Shahada means to testify. That's the two things that need to be done. A third condition is that what your mouth is saying, your heart is affirming and is accepting. So those can be the said, the three meanings of what it means. Ashhadu, I testify, Allah ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah, and I testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. What is it that you're testifying? You are testifying that Allah is singular in ibadah. And, you're, sing, and you're, you're testifying that Muhammad is what? From the creation, he's alone in ittiba' to be followed. وَلِذَلِكَ the scholars, they say, in this is tawheedul ibadah wa tawheedul ittiba' tawheedul ibadah wa tawheedul ittiba' You're singling, sorry, tawheedul ibadah You're singling Allah in worship. Meaning, I don't worship anyone, only Allah, tabarak wa ta'ala. That's what it means, ashadu wa la ilaha illallah. وَأَشَهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ means I single the Prophet ﷺ in adherence. I mean, I follow him over everybody else. Are we all together, brothers? I don't associate the Prophet ﷺ in partners with... Uh, I mean, I don't associate anyone with partners with the Prophet ﷺ in following. I mean, if the Prophet says something, I follow him. And following the Prophet entails following who? Allah Azza wa Jalla. Then... The second pillar of Islam is what? وَتُقِيمَ الصَّلَاةِ That you establish the prayer. إِقَامَةِ الصَّلَاةِ means إِقَامَةِ الصَّلَاةِ means four things. Number one, you come with the shuruq of the salah, the prerequisites of the prayer. تُقِيمَ الصَّلَاةِ also means you come with the arkan of the salah. The pillars of Islam. So the first one is you come with the prerequisites. Things that need to be done before the salah comes in, like al-wudu, dukhul al-waqt, istiqbal al-qibla, 
وما إلى ذلك. The conditions you come with it, the prerequisites. The second is you come with the pillars. The pillars are that which need to be done in the salah, like reciting Fatiha, وما إلى ذلك. The third one is the wajibat, the obligations that are on you. There are things which are wajib, that are obligatory. The third thing you come with. And the fourth thing is you stay away from the mubtilatu salah, the things that can nullify your prayer. The things that can, you stay away from that which can nullify your prayer. These four. Once it is done, you have established that prayer. First one is shurut. The second one is arkan. The third one is wajibat. And the fourth one is tarku that you distance yourself from the things that can nullify your prayer then you can say that you, this person established a prayer and that you give the zakat the zakat is a it's a yearly paid it's annually paid from the wealth that you have you give it every year you pay from that wealth you give zakat from your wealth. The zakat has shurut and it has asbab. Shurut are conditions and it also has asbab reasons. Okay? Condition is that your wealth re- it passes one year. Okay? The sabab is that it reaches the amount. And the mani' which is the preventative factor is that there's no debt on you. So if the reason is found, the condition is found and there is no preventative factor, you need to pay the wealth. You have to pay the cash from that wealth. The yearly cycle has gone by. The wealth has reached the amount. There is no debt on you. Pay the cash from that wealth. You have to pay the cash from it. And you fast the month of Ramadan. You fast what? The month of Ramadan. And the pilgrimage to Mecca. If you're able to do so. Why did Hajj become the only thing which says if you're able to do so? And not the other, and not the other pillars in Islam. It's a rhetorical question. There's, five pill- sorry, there's four pillars in Islam other than the Shahadatain. The Shahadatain, put it aside. Salah. Zakah, Saum, and Hajj. These four are actions and they all require ability. Why is only Hajj specified with ability? When the other, the other ones, the other three, they also require ability. The reason is because the scholars, they say, Salah is a physical ability. Hajj is a financial ability. Fasting is a physical ability. You can see each one has one Ability that's required from you. Salah is only physical ability. Zakat, it's a financial ability. Fasting is a physical ability. Like in Hajj, is financial and physical ability simultaneously. Both of them have to be present. You have to be physically able to go to Hajj. And you also need to be financially able to do Hajj. The other ones, they're either physical or they are either monetary, financial. So that's why the emphasis for Hajj is always said, Jibreel then said, Sadaqti, you told the truth. 
After he asked about Islam, he said you told the truth. You can't say that someone told the truth or is right unless you know the answer to the question. So the Sahabas, they were amazed with that. Umar said, فَعَجِبْنَا لَهُ يَسْأَلُهُ وَيُصَدِّقُهُ He amazed us. He asks the question and then he says, you're right. This is something fascinating. We don't even know who this man is. And he's doing all of this. فَعَجِبْنَا لَهُ يَسْأَلُهُ وَيُصَدِّقُهُ The scholars, they said, what we take from this is that it's permissible to ask a question for something you know so others can benefit from it. The permissibility of asking a question for something you know, you know the answer, but you ask as though you don't know, but you want others to benefit from it, that it's permissible as Jibreel did. فَعَجِبْنَا لَوْ يَسْأَلُهُ then he said, Iman is six pillars. It is to believe in Allah Azza wa Jalla. to believe in his angels. Warusulihi and to believe in his messengers. الآخر, to believe in the day of judgment. and that you believe in that which Allah destined for you, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the good and the evil of it. And we mentioned in the Sharh of Kitab, Sharh Sunan Imam Al Muzani, that the Qadr doesn't have pure evil in it. The evil is what happens in line of how you look at it. It's, it's subjective and it's how you look at it. We said that the Qadr is what? An example of it is like fire, Ibn Al Qayyim said. The fire, if it cooks you food, it's good, and if it burns someone, it's bad. The fire isn't bad in and within itself. It's just bad when it does something bad. And we all together, unless something bad comes out of it. So the Qadr is not evil. But then the slave might seem to think that he lost a loved one. And so this is pure evil for him. Like what we say is, the Qadr is not evil. The Qadr is not, it's not evil. You losing your child may seem evil to you, but you don't know why Allah Taala did this. It could be good in it for you. So these are the six articles of faith. We have to believe in all of these. Then Jibril said, Sadaqta, you told the truth. Umar didn't say we were amazed this time because he did it the first time. The believer, by the way, brothers, something doesn't happen to him twice. And this is a qa'idah, a hadith from the Prophet A believer is not bitten from the same hole twice. He's alert. He knows what's happening around him, the believer. Yaqil. He knows. He's not always going to be bitten from the same hole. So the first time they, they were shocked when he said that, but not the second time. The second time they were not shocked because they were expecting to say ihsan. Tell me about Ihsan. He said, Al-Ihsan, Ihsan. Ah. It's you worship Allah as though you can see him. But if you can't see Allah, Allah can see you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he said, Tell me about the hour. He said, The one that's asking, the one that's been asked, which is me, Nabi Muhammad, the one who's been asked, doesn't have more knowledge than the one who's asking. Well, the scholars, they use this for whenever you ask a question and you don't know the answer to that question, you tell the individual, The scholars, they say that a lot. 
If someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer for it, you say to them, the person who's being questioned here doesn't have more knowledge than the one who's questioning him. So Nabi Muhammad and Jibreel, that day they both agreed that they don't know the hour. What about if a shaitan comes today and tells us that he knows the hour and he knows when it's going to happen and when it's going to occur? Do we believe in him? Do we take it from him? These are the two messengers of Allah. Jibreel is a Rasulun Malaki, a angel who is a messenger from Allah Azza wa Jalla. And Nabiullah Muhammad is a Rasulun Bashari. He's a messenger who's from the children of Adam. They both told each other that day and they affirmed for one another that we don't know this. And this is from the things only Allah knows. No one else knows. Allah to him subhanahu wa ta'ala is what? The keys of the unseen are with Allah Azza wa Jalla. Why does Allah refer to the knowledge of the unseen when he's talking about himself? Because it's not unseen to Allah Ta'ala, but it's to you guys. This is unseen to you guys. But to Allah Ta'ala is knowledge is certain to Allah. He knows it. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing hidden from him. The Prophet does not know the unseen. He only knows what Allah told him and what Allah informed him of. Allah says, Allah is the one who knows the unseen and he doesn't inform the unseen to anyone. Except the Prophet, he only knows what Allah wants him to know. Okay? We all know the famous ayah. If I was to know the unseen, the Prophet saying this. Say to them, Muhammad, that I do not know the unseen. And if I was to know the unseen, harm would not have touched me. The Prophet is saying this. But he knew what Allah wanted him to know. And from the things that Allah did not tell the Prophet ﷺ is what? Is the hour. Allah did not tell him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet said to Jibreel, I and you both don't know this. I and you don't know this. Then he said to him, okay. Tell me it's signs. Ways to know that the qiyam is going to happen. Are there signs to identify that the qiyam is about to happen? Since we don't know when it's going to happen. The scholars, they followed up the narrations from the Prophet ﷺ and they followed up the Qur'an and they looked at it and they observed it. And they mentioned that the hour is categorized into two. The signs of the hour, sorry. It's categorized into what? Into two. Major and minor. Major signs and minor signs. Are we all together? And of course, within themselves, they differed upon which one falls under the major and that which falls under the minor. There are differences amongst themselves, but they do agree unanimously that the, hour, the signs of the hour are categorized into what? Uh, into two. Some of the scholars have mentioned that this minor signs of the hour have all been seen. Some scholars mentioned that. And others have said, no, they all haven't been seen. And the reason why they differed is because some of them took from the major and they added it into the minor, and some of them took that from the minor and added it to the 
to the major. And from one of the greatest signs of the hour was the death of Nabiullah Muhammad. Nabiullah Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, dying is one of the signs of the hour, because he said, "Bu'ithu ana wa saatu kahataini." I and the hour were brought out like this. The Prophet said this, meaning I and the hour are very close to each other. And then Nabiullah Muhammad's death and him dying was a sign from the signs of the hour. Jibreel here, when he asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, tell me about the signs, the Prophet told him some of the signs, not all of them. From the signs he told him is, that the slave will give birth to its master. The scholars, they have two ways of looking at this. Number one is that there's going to be mothers and their children are going to be masters. The mother is a slave, the husband is her master and she gives birth to his children and those children become what? They might become masters of their, their mother. Some scholars, that's the interpretation they gave. And what we need to know in our religion is if a child finds his parents as slaves and he goes and he buys them, they never remain in his qabda, even a split second. The minute he buys them and frees them, the minute he buys them, there's no need for him to free them. They're already free. They can never stay under him. Are we all together? Parents can't stay under their own children. Lakin. The Prophet told us وسلم, that if a man finds his father as a slave and he goes and he buys him from the master, works hard and buys and brings back his father's freedom, that the rights of his father drops from him in Islam, but never the mother. The Prophet said this والسلام, that the rights of the parents don't drop, the mother and the father, they don't drop. Unless he finds his father, Unless he finds him Unless he finds him as a slave His father and he buys him And then becomes freed from that This shows us the rights of the mother Is so high The, the, the position of the mother So the first interpretation from Is that the mother Is giving birth to her master The second interpretation is the disobedience of the parents increasing that the parents become slaves for their own children that the child would say to his parents sit down bring me this food I don't like this food that you cooked for me I don't like you and the parent says you don't like this food okay give me okay I'll cook you something else and the parent goes into the kitchen and then makes another set of food and comes back and says do you like this one no I prefer the first one and then the child treats the parent as though the parent is what under his feet and this is something again it's very it's seen it's from the signs of the hour 
وأن ترى الحفاة العراة العالة رعاء الشاء يتطاولون في البنيان وأن ترى الحفاة العراة العالة إذا يسي the shoeless Bedouins who yesterday didn't have anything today they are what they are boasting and they're bragging amongst themselves skyscrapers and buildings and infrastructure but many years back if you look they were in the desert and they didn't have it and they're competing with one another in construction and buildings so they're saying to each other we're going to build the tallest building and the other one says no we're going to build the tallest building and the competition happens but many years back if you look at it it is what they never had this they what they didn't have it and many of us if we look back our own our own family we would not go too far except our families were what bedouins and here today we are we're driving lexus mercedes we're driving bentley's those of you guys are driving it huh? but many years back the uh, our families were not doing that rather they were what they were looking after the livelihood, their livelihood based from their livestock. They were taking care of sheep and goats and camels. And by the way, not all of the signs of the hour are bad. Some people think that's what the case is. They think if they see a sign of the hour, it's, that sign is an evil sign. No, it's not. From the signs of the hour is coming of Isa ibn Maryam, and that is not evil. Are we all together? Not all of the signs of the hour are evil. They are just signs to show you that the Qiyam is coming. Okay, they are only signs. So he mentioned two things. That the mother would give birth to her own master. And the second one is, Jibreel, when he asked these questions, he stood up and he left. The Prophet stayed for a little bit. And he said to Umar, Ya Umar, do you know who the person was asking the question? This again shows you that the Sahabas, at that moment, they were not allowed to ask too much questions. And that's why Jibreel came. There was a period of time where the Sahabas were stopped from asking too many questions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send a Bedouin on to ask the Prophet the question and they would listen to the questions of the Bedouin. Or sometimes Jibreel would come and he would ask the questions for them. But they were told to stop. Because too many questions, brothers, can get the person tired and fatigued. And it can also sometimes, it, the person's answers are not always ready the overwhelming questions so the prophet ﷺ, these all these companions they all have questions they all ask him it's going to be a burden on him وسلم, and he would spend all of his time answering questions and they were at a time when the legislation was still going on and so if they inquired about information too much it may come down as an obligation that's why allah said in the quran do not ask something that when you find out the answer to it, it will hurt you. Because some of them, they used to ask the Prophet ﷺ questions like, where's my father and my mother? Are they in Jannah or are they in Nar? Like the man who came to the Prophet and he asked the Prophet that question. So they used to ask these questions which will hurt them after they find out the answer. If the answer wasn't in favor of what they wanted, if it wasn't in favor for the, of them, it would hurt them. So Jibreel would come and ask the question or a Bedouin man would come who doesn't know these revelations and these texts. He's a Bedouin man. He just came 
to Medina for the first time, for instance, and he's going to be leaving in the morning. So he's going to come and ask all the questions. Are we all together? فأخبرني عن أماراتها قال أن تلد الأمة ربتها وأن ترى الحفاة العرات العالة رعاء شاء يتطاولون في البنيان ثم انطلق فلبثت مليا ثم قال يا عمر أتدري من السائل Do you know the person who's asking the question? قلت I said عمر said الله ورسوله عالم الله and his messenger know The scholars they say brothers الله ورسوله saying both of them together it was only when the Prophet was alive You can only say when the Prophet was alive الله ورسوله عالم But now that the Prophet is dead what we say is that the Prophet is not alive, so we only say Allahu A'lam. Only Allah knows. Are we all together? That is the safest and the correct way. Allahu A'lam. Allah knows. Then the Prophet said to him, فَإِنَّهُ جِبْرِيلٌ It is Jibreel. أَتَاكُمْ Who came to you guys. يُعَلِّمُكُمْ دِينَكُمْ And he was teaching your religion. And another benefit that we take from the hadith is, the Prophet attributed to Jibreel the teaching of the knowledge, not himself. That means if you ask questions for other people, you as well are a teacher as well. Even if you're not giving the verdict. Even if you're not. Even if you're not giving the verdict. Are we all together? You and the one who's asking the question. The one who's answered the question. And the one who's asking the question. Both of you are educating the people and both of you are rewarded together. Are we all together? Nabiullah Musa and Harun, when they were making dua together, and Nabiullah Musa was making the dua, and Harun was saying, Ameen. Allah, what did he say in the Quran about the dua that they both made? Both of your du'as was accepted. Who made the du'a? Yeah? Musa made it. And who was also mentioned with him? Yeah? Harun. Harun was mentioned as though he made the du'a, but he didn't. He said, Ameen. Even though some of the scholars, they said, Ameen means, Ajib ya Rabbal Alameen. Which itself is a du'a, they say. Are we all together? Obey it from us, my Lord. This hadith is a very powerful hadith. Hadith of Jibreel is called. You could sit, oh, sit over this hadith for a while. And one of the great scholars who've actually sat down and explained this hadith by itself, and there's a book he wrote on it, is Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al Abbad. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al Abbad has a sharah on this hadith by itself. I encourage you all to buy it and read it. The sharah of hadith of Jibreel. Now. عن أبي عبد الرحمن عبد الله بن عمر بن خطاب رضي الله عنهما قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول بني الإسلام على خمس شهادة أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمدا عبده ورسوله وإقام الصلاة وإيتاء الزكاة وحج البيت وصوم رمضان رواه البخاري ومسلم. This hadith has the same meaning. That which was in the hadith of Jibreel, right? That the pillars of Islam. So you go back to the explanation that we gave for the hadith of Jibreel. Uh, it's the same, inshallah ta'ala. Naam. الحديث الرابع 
عن أبي عبد الرحمن عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه قال حدثنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو الصادق المصدوق إن أحدكم يجمع خلقه في بطن خلقه في بطن أمه أربعين يوما ثم يكون علقة مثل ذلك ثم يكون مضغة مثل ذلك ثم يرسل الملك فينفخ فيه الروح ويؤمر بأربع كلمات بكتب رزقه وأجله وعمله وشقي أم سعيد أم سعيد فوالذي لا إله غيره إن أحدكم لا يعمل لا يعمل بعمل أهل الجنة حتى ما يكون حتى ما يكون بينه وبين حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها إلا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل النار فيدخلها وإن أحدكم لا يعمل بعمل أهل النار حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها إلا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل الجنة فيدخلها رواه البخاري ومسلم This hadith is narrated from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله تعالى عنه He said Haddathana Rasulullah, the Prophet told us. And the reason why he used the word Haddathana is to tell us, to tell you that this is a relation, this is a direct hadith he heard from the Prophet. And the word Haddathana, it's one of the strongest forms of transmission of hadith. Akhbarana and Haddathana, Haddathana is one of the strongest forms of transmission of hadith. It is stronger than the word Qala or An. Hadathana and Akhbarana is the strongest form of transmission. It means this person heard it from this person. What is the difference between Hadathana and Akhbarana? Akhbarana and Hadathana, what is the difference? They say that the difference is Hadathana is when the person tells you and you listen. Akhbarana is when you tell the person and they affirm it. They say, mm, I did say that. When you read the person's narrations on them and they listen to you, and they say, Naam, I did say that. Which one is stronger, both of them? Huh? Hadathana is more stronger because the person could lose the concentration of thinking about what you're saying. The hul can enter his mind. He may not hear exactly what you're saying. He could be absent, come back again and say, mm. But when you read it on the person, um, so when the person says it to you, are we all together? That's the strongest form they say. So we were in the hadith of Hadith Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha when she said that the Prophet said Man fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu Anyone who introduces in our affairs that which is not from it is rejected. Bukhari and Muslim both narrated. The religion the religion it scales the human in two ways, write this down. The religion scales with two, two things. The first one is external actions and it scales that, it weighs it. External actions. And the second one is internal actions. The internal, we took it in the hadith of Umar, إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُهُ بِالنِّيَادِ 
And the external is the hadith of Aisha. Man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fahwarad. That's what's needed from you. That you come in sincerity and you do it in accordance to the sunnah. That's when the action is makbul. It's accepted. That action is what? Makbulun ay qubil. Islam, you accept it. Some people, they say, look at him, he's crying. Wallahi, he's crying for the sake of Allah. We'll say, there might be the first condition found. But that doesn't mean that the second condition is found. Because the second condition is needed. Which is that it has to be in accordance to the sunnah. Naam. عن أبي عبد الله النعمان بن بشير رضي الله عنهما قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن الحلال بين وإن الحرام بين وبينهما أمور مشتبهات لا يعلمهن كثير من الناس فمن اتقى الشبهات فقد استبرأ لدينه فقد استبرأ لدينه ويرضه ومن وقع في الشبهات وقع في الحرام كالراعي يرعى حول حول الحما يوشك أن يرتع فيه ألا وإن لكل ملك حما ملك حما ألا وإن حما الله محارمه وإن في الجسد مضغة إذا صلحت, إذا صلحت صلح الجسد كله وإذا فسدت فسدت فزد الجسد كله ألا وهي القلب رواه البخاري ومسلم This hadith Bukhari and Muslim both narrated on the authority of Al-Nu'man ibn Bashir that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam divided the jurisprudent rulings the ahkam al-shari'ah the ahkam the rulings in the Sharia in two types. Write this down. The rulings in the Sharia are two types. Bayinun, clear. It's clear. Crystal clear. And those are two types. The clear is two types. Huh? The rulings of the Sharia, this hadith divided it into two. The first one is clear cut rulings and that's two types the clear cut rulings are two types A clear cut halal and B clear cut haram that's the first one the second one is mutashabih mutashabih means ambiguous unclear vague okay it is what? It is vague. It's unclear. Either the halal is unclear or the haram is unclear. It's ambiguous. Are we all together? Then the hadith divided the people when it comes to the ambiguous, the unclear rulings. The people are two types. When it comes to the unclear, the vague rulings in the Sharia, the people are two types. Someone who knows it. To him, it's clear. The vague, it doesn't have that, it's not vague to him. Even though the ruling is not. But to him, it seems to be clear. And to him, 
He knows what the ruling of Allah is. It in it is this particular issue, and that's what the Hadith says. La not many people know it. So he's from the few that know it. Are we all together? The second is He doesn't know it. And it still is unclear to him. And it's vague to him. Are we all together? And that one is two types. The one who doesn't know it and it's unvague to him is two types. A one who says, because it's unclear to me, because it's vague, I'm going to stay away from it. He says, you know what? It's not clear to me. I really don't know it. I'm going to abstain from it. B, one who says, I don't know. It's not clear to me. But the scholars differed amongst themselves. There are differences of opinions. And he throws himself into it. Are we all together? Have you all understood the categorization? Let me repeat it one more time. This hadith divided the rulings in the, in the religion into two. That which is clear cut. And that's two I said. Halal which is clear cut and haram which is clear cut. The second one is it's mutashabih, ambiguous, vague. And the people in there are two. People who know the ambiguous, they understand it. They use other external evidences and it becomes clear to them. So it moves into the first category for them. Are we all together? And the second group of people are those who it remains unclear to them. This is the overwhelming majority of people. It doesn't seem clear to them. It seems ambiguous to them. And those who see it to be unclear and ambiguous and can't really tell what is right from what is wrong in this issue, there are two types. One who says, I'm going to stay away from it. I'm going to avoid it. I don't want to gamble on my deen. I'm going to stay away from it. I'm not going to take the risk. And the second one is one who says, no, 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 no. It's unclear. Difference of opinion. Why not? Let me do it. And he throws himself uh, into it. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he told us about the last one, the last group that I just mentioned, which is those who do the ambiguous. Those who what? Who do the ambiguous. Who throw themselves into the ambiguous. The Prophet ﷺ, he said two problems are going to come to them. They're going to face two problems for doing the ambiguous. What's the first one? They're going to harm their honor. They're going to harm their honor. There's going to be a harm to their honor. And the second one is, it will finally throw them into the clear-cut haram. Finally throw them into what? Clear cut haram. Somalis, they have a saying, my community, you guys wouldn't understand it. They say, Ta ta basha tu You guys wouldn't understand it. It means you don't just steal the first time. Uh, you don't. You touch the money first, you turn it over. So, and then finally, you're robbing a bank. 
So it starts like that. The person is in mutashabi, things which are not clear. He's standing around those corners. And that's what the hadith says. Huh? The kings before, the hadith is mentioning, the kings before they used to have reserved land. Even now, governments have that. It's called the reserve. It's reserved. In there is the property and the wealth owned by the government. Back in those days, like it was land. When they took the zakat from the people, the goats and the sheep and the camels, where did they feed them from? There is a land that's reserved. No one goes to that land. It's, it's got walls around it or it's got a fence around it. The, the zakat, goats and the zakat, camels are taken and they're kept there. Okay? If someone's cow or sheep or goes and eats from the corner of that reserved land, what's going to finally happen? He's going to throw it. He's going to, th- he's going to go into the reserved land. He's eating from the corner. He isn't eating from the reserved land, but he's eating from the corner. Are we all together? Allah also has a reserved land where no one can go into. All of that is halal for you, brother. This is res- it's a fence around it. <coughs> if you eat from the corner, which are the mutashabihat, you're going to find yourself inside that land, eating from it. That's what the hadith is saying. إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيِّنٌ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيِّنٌ وَبَيْنَهُمَا أُمُورٌ مُشْتَبِهَاتٌ لَا يَعْلَمُهُنَّ كَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ فَمَنِ اتَّقَى الشُّبُهَاتِ فَقَدْ اسْتَبْرَأَ لِدِينِ وَعِرْضِهِ وَمَنْ وَقَعَ فِي الشُّبُهَاتِ وَقَعَ فِي الْحَرَامِ كَالْرَاعِ يَرْعَى حَوْلَ الْحِمَى يُوشِكُ أَنْ يَرْتَعَ فِيهِ أَلَا وَإِنَّ لِكُلِّ مَلِكٍ حِمَى أَلَا وَإِنَّ حِمَى اللَّهِ مَحَارِمُهُ أَلَا وَإِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ مُضْغَةٍ إلى آخر الحديث. So that's why you find in the Quran many places tilka hududullah. Hudud means what? Boundaries. That's why you find the word tilka hudud. Hudud is boundaries. Okay? If you travel today in America, some people what they do is they do a crime in America. And they do a crime in America. And they jump to the other side of Mexico. Can America do anything? Now they're not allowed to. Because tilka hudud al-America, right? That's the borders that they control and they can do what they want. Of course, there's always a back door. But everyone has their bland. And everyone has their place where they can enforce that on. Are we all together? Hudud, boundaries. That boundary, when you go outside, it's another boundary. And there's another boundary, it's another boundary. Islam has those boundaries. The boundaries, staying within those boundaries and not going out. It brings law and order. Or else, chaos. Then the Prophet ﷺ told us that what gets harmed here, all of this, where does it harm? He told us it harms the heart. The Prophet said, Inside the human being, there's an organ. If this organ is upright and it's just and it's good and it's noble, then the whole entire body is good. And if this organ is corrupt, the whole entire body is what? It's corrupt. And then the Prophet said, it is the heart. So the heart is a strong organ that, that, that can affect the whole entire body. Now. So it's a good question. Here we find difference of opinion on issues. What we say is that there is nothing in the religion that there is no haqq and batil in it. There is. Some people, they, you know what they think? 
They think if two parties of scholars differ amongst themselves, both of them are right. No, both of them are not right. One is right. There's only one truth. There's only one haq. There's no two haqs. Hence why the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, إِذَا الْمُجْتَهِدْ If the scholar does ijtihad, فَأَصَابَ And he gets it right. فَلَهُ أَجْرًا He gets to reward. وَإِذَا اجْتَهَدَ الْمُجْتَهِدُ فَأَخْطَأَ فَلَهُ أَجْرًا and if a scholar does ijtihad, meaning he does, he does hard and he works hard and he exerts effort, but he gets it wrong. Oh, so there's a getting wrong. There's one reward. So what we take from this hadith is, some people, they think that there are unclear things, so it's just unclear. It's neither halal or haram. That's what they think. But no, it is halal. It's just not halal. It's not clear to you what it is. Or it's haram. But it's not clear to you that it's haram. Are we all together? So the people are three types in this situation. Write this down. When it comes to the ambiguous, the people are three types. An alim, who he himself is unclear to him as well. Sometimes the scholar, it may not become clear to him. Are we all together? For him, it's to research and to investigate and to... The second group is a muttabi'ah. A muttabi'ah is a person who can't look at the evidences himself. He can't go to the Deleen and the Quran and the Sunnah himself. He hasn't reached that level of deriving rulings from the Quran or the Sunnah. So what does he do? What he does is, he looks at the opinions of the scholars and how they extracted the rulings and he strengthens one over the other. That's the second. And the third, which is what the majority of us fall into, is taklid which is blind following. This individual doesn't know anything. Whether an ayah is read to him or a person is singing in the Arabic language, he doesn't know the difference. The muqallid, he doesn't have no Islamic knowledge. This individual, his job is su'alu ahlil ilm. He just asks the people of knowledge and he takes whichever one he believes in. Like in the scholar that he takes, has qualities. Are we all together? And what are the qualities that he has? Two. Ilmun wa The scholar has knowledge. So he's knowledgeable. And the second one is wara. Wara meaning he's a person who stays within the boundaries set by the sharia. Those two. That's a scholar. Am I making sense? So in everything of the religion, you go to those scholars and you ask them. And if the scholar then gets it wrong after you've asked a reliable scholar, you are muqallid, you're a blind follower. You asked an alim. You asked a person who knows this. You put the question to him. From this minute onwards, if he gives you the false information, it's not upon you. Because you came with what? You asked a alim who had ilmun wa warah. He had knowledge and warah. You took what he said, then the issue is upon him, not you. Okay? And you know what's actually really powerful about this hadith is that this hadith talks about differences in issues which are ambiguous and we are living at a time when the differences are not necessarily ambiguous things they are clear-cut things are we all together the issues are clear it's not even an issue of different like how did this become a difference of opinion that hadith here are zahir and a hadith which are nas they can't even take any interpretations but we find that being turned into a dialogue and a discussion are we all together brothers but this hadith is not talking about that. The hadith is saying, the ones which are clear-cut, there's no dispute about that one. 
the ambiguous one. And even in the ambiguous one, there's only one truth. And you have to go look for it. There's one truth in it. You have to strive hard in looking for it. Are we all together? People nowadays, they look for the truth in worldly issues. This is a sad thing. If you want to go to a school today, and you, sorry, you want to go to a university, you go online and you check the accreditation, you look at the qualifications and teachers that teach, you even look at the ratings that were given to them, you look at the comments of the people, you go out there, you ask them for their perspectives, you say, show me. Are we all together? Even if you didn't study at university in your life, if you want. But you will strive hard to know that your children are going to a good school. True or false? Yeah? Why are you not going to strive for your own deen like that? To find out what this is, this issue. I'm going to strive to ask the ulama and find out what they said about this issue. I'm going to deeply look into it. This is your akhirah. Are we all together? So you need to work hard to always come to that which is um, right and correct, inshallah ta'ala. Here, I want to say something, brothers. Here. Just a question on that. Um, the situation when the Prophet told the companions to not pay asr until he went to uh, Did he tell them in the end which of the two was correct? Uh -huh. Sometimes people use that to say sometimes there, what there is a mm, mm, correct mm, mm. So the brothers asked me a very good question. He said that there was a time when the Messenger sallallahu alayhi said to his companions, when the Prophet said to his companions that do not pray except in Banu Quraida. He's a group of companions, he sent them, and the Prophet said to them, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, pay attention to this. That don't pray except in what? In Banu Quraida. Like make sure that you go to Banu Quraida, the tribe of Banu Quraida, with a Jew tribe, and pray there. So from this, some scholars. They derived after they read the story because the story mentions the Sahabas when they got on the road, the Salah came in, Asr came in. A group of them, they said, we're not going to pray Asr even though it's entered. Why? Why? Because they said that the Prophet clearly instructed us to pray in Banu Quraidah. Are we all together, brothers? And another group of companions, what did they do? They said, no, we're going to pray. The Prophet wasn't referring to whether we get there fast, sorry, whether we get there and we pray there or not. He was talking about us not stopping anywhere and us trying to get there fast. That's what the Prophet was trying to emphasize on, the hastiness and the speed that we need to get there. But he wasn't necessarily be delaying a ruling of Allah. Are we all together? So some scholars, they said, when they both came, the Prophet did not scold any of the party. Are we all together, brothers? The Prophet didn't say to this party, how dare you do this? And he didn't say to the other party, how dare you guys do this? Are we all together? Now, let's ponder over this hadith. Number one, both parties were taking the hadith of the Prophet. That's number one. None of them was rejecting the hadith. Are we all together? If a difference of opinion is coming from one accepting a delil and the other one not accepting the delil, using this particular scenario as an evidence, is al-qiyasu al farid It's unjust. Incorrect. Number two, these two parties were relying on the two ways that then became the four madhabs that we're seeing today. The four madhabs, the four madhabs that are followed the Hanafiya, the Malikiya, the Shafi'iya, the Hanabila. The madhabs broke into 
how these sahabas acted according to this hadith which is what someone took some of them took the hadith literal and some of them they took the hadith the mafhum of it the intent behind it so some of them stuck by the wording and some of them stuck by the meaning the first group that said the prophet said don't pray asr except for bani quraydah they took the wording and that became a madhab madhab al-zahiriyah and one of the madhabs that were taken are we all together and the second madhab is that we take the mafhum and the ma'na in the hadith which is the intent and the meaning of what the hadith is saying and then that became also a the madhabs that we follow today the scholars they say there was one truth in there one party was right and one party was wrong the party who prayed the salah were right who prayed before they got to banu quraydah because of the ahayat that clearly say inna salata kanat ala almu'minina kitaban mawquta the salah is an appointed time are we all together brothers the so why would the scholars strengthen one over the other because the haq is always what it's always one the haq is always what one like in this brothers is not called a khilaf it's called a ijtihad it's not called a khilaf what happened here it's called an ijtihad a khilaf brothers is the differences that we have with different religions that's called a khilaf we have differences with different religions even within Islam, there are differences that we have amongst ourselves. Differences. And not every difference is accepted. Are we all together, brothers? Like in ijtihad is, both parties have solid evidences. They are all using evidences. They are not rejecting each other's evidences. Are we all together, brothers? But it's how is this evidence understood is what their argument is. This is called an ijtihad which accepts one thing which is what no name calling or labeling that's all it does i won't call you an innovator for taking that view and you don't call me an innovator for not taking that view but there is one right and there is wrong one wrong and we don't boycott ourselves based on that are we all together brothers no. <laughs> أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الدين النصيحة قلنا لمن قال لله ولكتابه ولرسوله ولأئمة المسلمين وعامتهم رواه مسلم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he said الدين النصيحة The religion is advice This whole entire religion الدين أي الدين كله The whole religion is advice We advise one another A Muslim doesn't hate advice brothers he loves it. He enjoys it. When people advise him, he listens. He opens the heart. Don't get offended by advices that are given to you. Are we all together? That advice can come from someone who's lower than you. It can be from someone who's higher than you. It can be from someone who's level to you. Are we all together? You take it wherever you find it. Because it's the lost property of the believer. The truth and the khair is always the lost property of the believer. Wherever he finds it, he takes it. And where is all of the good advice found in brothers? It's found in the religion. All of good advice is found in the Quran and the Sunnah. But, but brothers, pay attention here. The hadith mentioned advice for five. Five. The nasiha for five. 
The first one is nasihatu lillah. Advice and nasiha for Allah Azza wa Jalla. What does it mean? It means to believe in Allah's existence subhanahu wa ta'ala. Singling Allah in worship subhanahu wa ta'ala. Believing and affirming Allah's names and attributes subhanahu wa ta'ala and singling him in, in the religion. That's what it means. An nasihatu lillahi. An nasihatu lil Qur'ani it means al-imanu bihi wa ta'zimuhu wal-wuqufu inda hududihi. The ta'zi, uh, sorry, the nasiha of the Quran, it means to believe in this book. It also is to honor this book. It is also to fulfill what is in it and live by it. What nasiha to lil-rasuli, an advice to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is al-imanu bihi, to believe in him. Wa-mahabbatuhu, to love him. Wa-tiba'uhu alayhi salatu salam and to follow the way he, he was alayhi salatu salam. وَالنَّصِيحَةُ لِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Nasiha to the Muslim leaders is how do you do nasiha to the wulat al-umur? As-sab'u wa ta'a We listen and we obey them. We listen to what they tell us to do. We follow their commandments. We are sincere in listening to them. And if we see anything wrong from them, we advise them فيما بيننا وبينهم between us and them. We don't say on social media, speaking about their mistakes and their errors in public. We don't make YouTube channels and we bring out their mistakes and their faults. But what we do is if we get the ability, we go and advise them if we get the chance. And if we don't get the chance, then the leaders, they don't need us. They already have ulama with them. They're going to take the responsibility for us. Everyone should not think that he needs to advise. There are people who are senior and more greater than you who are going to take that responsibility and they are going to advise them accordingly, inshaAllah ta'ala. From the nasiha to li'aimmati al-muslimina is wad-du'a'i lahum to make du'a for the wulatul umur that you supplicate to them. Muhammad ibn Sirin, he said, لو كانت لي دعوة مستجابة محمد بن سيرين said if I had one dua I knew Allah will accept that one dua for me I would make it for the Muslim leader I would use that dua for him because he said if he becomes good then the, the people under him they will be taken good care of and it would be good for, for them the Hadith finally mentions the final group which is Advice to the general mass. How do you do advice to the general mass? That you love good for the people. When you see someone do something bad, it doesn't make you laugh and happy for, at them. But rather what you want for the people is khair. If you see one who doesn't know, you educate him and you teach him. وَالْإِحْسَانِ إِلَيْهِمْ And you're good towards them. Like you care for them, you help them. عَنْهُمْ And you take away from them harm. The Prophet ﷺ said in hadith, المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ويده. A Muslim is when it comes to the people, they are safe from your tongue. You don't say anything evil to the people. You also don't physically harm the people. When the people see you, they love you and they enjoy your presence. You're not a person who when the people see you, they say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. He entered 
and they walk away from you and they despise you. This goes against advice for the believers. This hadith is a very comprehensive hadith Ibn Salah said. And Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali in his kitab Hikam, he explained this hadith in great details. I encourage you all to go and uh, inshallah ta'ala read it. Naam. عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أمرت أن أقاتل الناس حتى يشهدوا أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمد رسول الله ويقيم الصلاة ويؤتوا الزكاة فإذا فعلوا ذلك عصموا مني دماءهم عصموا مني دماءهم وأموالهم إلا بحق الإسلام وحسابهم على الله تعالى حديث ابن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما This hadith is narrated from Abdullah ibn Umar He's a companion and his father is also a companion This hadith It mentions The first point is that the Prophet is a slave of Allah Because the Prophet is saying Umir I was commanded So the Prophet is a what? He's a slave of Allah. I mean, he's a slave who's commanded. This hadith says, Umirtu an uqatil al nasi hatta yashadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah. What does this hadith mean? This hadith does not mean what many people understand it to mean and how they perceive it. The non-Muslims are categorized into groups. Are we all together, brothers? The first type of non-Muslims is one who is fighting with you, who's waging war with you, you fight this one. There's one who's fighting with you and you fight with this one. But the condition for fighting with this one is that there has to be a leader. It can't be phobar. Everyone just goes and fights himself. There has to be organization. There has to be a, a person in charge. There has to be a leader in charge. It's a shart. It's a condition that needs to be found. Second one is a disbeliever who is mu'ahid, a covenant. He has a covenant. Are we all together? The governments, they, these two governments, they've now come to an agreement. None of the citizens of this country and this country can fight one another. Are we all together, brothers? Even if it happens that that land of the non that, so there's Muslims here, one Muslim here, and then the non-Muslims here. Pay attention to this. The Muslims here, they have a contract with the non-Muslims. And there's another land of Muslims here. But they don't have contracts, so there's a fight going on between them. The one that had the contract is not allowed to fight with the disbelievers. Are we all together, brothers? He has to stick to the contract that he made. This Muslim country has to stick to the contract that he made with the non-Muslim. If the other country wants to fight, that's up to him. And the evidence for that is Sulh al-Hudaybiyah. When the Prophet did the Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, the Messenger he wasn't fighting with Quraysh because he signed a what? A contract with Quraysh. Like in who was fighting with Quraysh? Abu Basir and Abu Jandal. Because Abu Basir and Abu Jandal were outside Mecca, uh, the Prophet's boundaries and they and Quraysh were fighting. The Prophet never وسلم, fought with Quraysh in that time. They were the ones that broke the covenant. The believers are of their condition. 
The third type of non-Muslims is Al-Musta'min A Muslim Sorry, a non-Muslim that took shelter He came into a country with a visa You are not allowed to touch him You are not allowed to harm him You are not allowed to do anything to him Are we all together brothers? Even if one Muslim takes a If a Muslim takes a non-Muslim into his house this is called Musta'min Let alone what a government gives to this person Visas, no one can touch These are the three non-Muslims Are we all together? So the Prophet wasallam in this hadith is general But there's other hadiths which are specific Meaning they mention these other types Naam عن أبي هريرة عبد الرحمن بن صخر صخر الدوسي رضي الله عنه رضي الله عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول ما نهيتكم عنه فجتنبوه وما وما أمرتكم به فأتوا منه فأتوا منه ما استطعتم فإنما فإنها أهلك الذين من قبلكم كثرة أسائلهم واختلافهم على أنبيائهم رواه البخاري ومسلم The author رحمه الله الإمام النووي رحمه الله He brings حديث التاسع The ninth حديث حديث أبو هريرة عبد الرحمن بن سخر الدوسي أبو هريرة said that I heard the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم say ما نهيتكم عنه فاجتنبوا Whatever I prohibited from you stay away from it وَمَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِي And that which I commanded you فَأْتُوا مِنُوا مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ Come with that which you are able to do فَإِنَّمَا أَلَكَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ Those who came before you were destroyed Why were they destroyed? The reason they were destroyed was كَثْرَةُ مَسَائِلِ They asked too many questions وَاخْتِلَافُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ Which then led to what? Them opposing their prophets Them opposing their prophets This hadith it divides the religion into three. The first thing is that which you are prohibited from. That which you are what? You are prohibited from. You need to stay with it. Stay away from it. The second one is that which you are commanded to do. And the third one is that which the Sharia didn't say anything about, and that is permissible for you. Whatever the Sharia is silent about, it's permissible for you. So some things you've been commanded to do, some things that you've been prohibited from, and some things which you are, the Sharia didn't say anything about it, it's permissible. Question, why did the Hadith say, وَمَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ Whatever I have, I have commanded you فَأْتُوا Come with it Do it مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ As much as you can Why is ability mentioned only for what you need to do and not what you need to stay away from? صحيح Staying away from something is I'm leaving of something is the default position it's not moving, just sit somewhere. 
So there's no need for ability. Ability is needed one. To do something. To go forward and do something, ability is needed. Are we all together? So when it comes to staying away from the haram, you can't say, I stayed away from what I was able to stay away from. You can't say that. You have to stay away from all haram. But when it comes to doing that which Allah commanded you, okay, do what you can. However much you're able to. And however much you can do. Naam. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله تعالى طيب لا يقبل إلا طيبا وإن الله أمر المؤمنين بها أمر, بي أمر به المرسلين فقال يا أيها الرسل كلوا من الطيبات واعملوا صالحا وقال يا أيها الذين آمنوا كلوا من طيبات كلوا من طيبات ما رزقناكم ثم ذكر الرجل ثم ذكر الرجل يطيل يطيل السفر أش أشعث أغبر يمد يديه إلى السماء يا رب يا رب ومطعمه حرام ومشربه حرام وملبسه حرام وغذي بالحرام فإن فإن يستجاب لذلك رواه مسلم. This hadith it mentions إن الله طيب and some of the scholars they took from this hadith that from the names of Allah is الطيب. الطيب اسم من أسماء الله تعالى. It's a name from the names of is a name from the names of Allah. Some of the scholars, that's where they, they took from this hadith. Because it says, In Allah Ta'ala Tayyib, Allah is Tayyib. La yaqbalu illa Tayyiban, and Allah doesn't accept, and He doesn't take in and take into consideration except that which is good. Allah commanded the believers that which He commanded the prophets and the messengers, which is what? Ya ayyuhal rusulu kulu min tayyibati ma razaqnakum, ya ayyuhal rusulu kulu min tayyibati. Allah commanded the messengers to eat from the good, to do righteous actions. Those are the two things that they were commanded. Eat good and righteous actions. The believers were also commanded the same. Those of you who believe, eat good. So we were commanded to eat good and the prophets were commanded to what? Eat good. The things that we call tayyib is two things. Write this down. That which is tayyib is two types. Something that the sharia, tayyib is something that the sharia permitted. Number one. The, the sharia permitted it and allowed it. This is called tayyib. And the second is that which doesn't go against the tabi'ah and the nature of the people. Are we all together? The tabi'ah of the humans. Some things are not textually stated whether they are haram, but they are haram because we mentioned them in Al-Qawa'id Al-Fiqiyah, they are called wazi'u tab'i. Wazi'u tab'i means your nafs cannot accept it. For example, um, uh, eating, for example, feces, for instance, human feces. You're not going to find an ayah that says it's haram or a hadith. 
But you will know it because it's what? Wazi'u tabi'i. It enters the ayah, وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ Allah prohibits from you the khabaith, the filthy things. Are we all together? So, tayyib is when it's ma'dhunu fi sharia, the sharia permitted it, and it's also what? And then the tabi'ah of the nafs likes it. Okay? When I say that tabi'ah and the nature of the people like it, I'm talking universally. But sometimes in some cultures, they, they don't like a particular thing. That doesn't mean tabi'atan, it's disliked. Are we all together? Some people, they like eating weird parts of human, uh, animal bodies, um, animal parts. Whatever rocks your boat, brother. Whatever rocks your boat. But I may not like it. Okay? I may find it hard for me to eat this food, but you like it, Allahumma barik. May Allah put barakah in it for you. I might eat something and enjoy it. And you might find in it what? Walidarika the Prophet when the lizard was brought to him. And he looked at it and he said, What is this? They said, It's a lizard. And the Prophet pushed it. And the Sahabas, they said, Aharamun here, Ya Rasulullah. Is this haram? And the Prophet said, Inna Bani Qawmi, my people, and where I'm from, we don't eat this stuff. Khalid said, No problem. Khalid took the uh, lizard, he ate it. They say until the juices of the, of the uh, lizard was coming from the sides of his mouth. I enjoyed it. Khalid ate it properly. Khalid bin Walid. And the Prophet didn't eat it. He looked at him. He doesn't want to eat it. Salawatullahi this, this is not universal. Because it can be... Huh? It can be a particular land. So, then the Prophet told us a story. Okay? The Prophet told us, Salawatullahi alayhi a story. Here I want to mention an issue which is storytelling. The issue of telling stories. Storytelling is not a problem with conditions. Are we all together, brothers? Storytelling is not bad if these conditions are met. Number one, it's authentic. That what you're saying is authentic. Because Allah Taala mentions some stories in the Quran, qisas, stories, and if you look at, um, if you look at um, the Quran, the scholars they divide the Quran into types. They say the Quran is aqaid and tawhid. Number one. Number two, they say the Quran is ahkam, rulings. The th third one is the Quran is. Um, righteous actions and things that you need to do and targheeb and targheeb and the fourth one they say is qisas stories all four of them are in the Quran lakin some people they mention stories which are lies doesn't exist they make it up to entertain the people Suyuti has a risala on this issue Jalaluddin Suyuti has wrote a book where he talks about discouraging against storytellers, warning against those storytellers. And it's through Islamic history, there became a, a group of people who became famous for just telling stories. Every time, stories, stories, stories. Their whole lecture is stories. From the beginning, stories. Which is the second point. It brings me to the second point, which is, minha. The person, even if the story is authentic, don't increase in it too much. And don't go overboard in mentioning stories all the time. 
where then you stop mentioning ayat and hadith and nusus and aqwal, you go out over, you leave it. And all your lecture becomes is qisas, stories. Are we all together? And the scholars, they say increasing in mentioning stories generally is what leads a lot of people in making up stories. Because if you're out of ammunition and you come to a halaqa and you're, you're a storyteller and you've been doing that for a long time and you come today, people are expecting a story. But you're, you're limited in how many stories you can tell. So then it will force you to do what? Make the story up on the spot. Are we all together, brothers? And I've seen with my two eyes. And heard with my two ears. People had lectures and before they, they went to the lecture, they said, oh, I, I have to have at least two stories to mention before I start the lecture. Who can help me? Can you give me one story? And then I mentioned some stories in the Quran. No, 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 not that. Other stories. Are we all together? So it's, it's problematic. It becomes a problem. And just making your whole da'wah and everything based on stories. So that you find the Prophet ﷺ did mention it. But when did he mention it? First he gave the hukum of Allah Azza wa Jalla. He gave the ayat in the Quran. Look what he did. And then what did he do? He mentioned a story for it, people to understand the ayah and the hadith. Are we all together? He said, ثُمَّ ذَكْرَ ذَكَرَ رَجُلُ يُطِيلُ السَّفَرَ أَشْعَثَ أَغْبَرَ يَمُدُّ يَدَيْهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ يَا رَبْ يَا رَبْ وَمَطْعَمُهُ حَرَامُ وَمَلْبَسُهُ حَرَامُ وَغُضِيَ بِالْحَرَامِ فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ لِذَلِكَ The Prophet, Prophet mentioned a man who was a traveler. This man was traveling for so long. And of course, when you're a traveler, the Prophet told us that the traveler is, I'm a traveling is قِطْعَةُ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ A portion of punishment. Traveling is adab. Ah, you're leaving your family. You're going to go to another land. You don't know what to expect. Border control. Are you going to be pulled over? You're a Muslim with a big long beard. You know, all these questions come through your mind. Ah, what's going to happen? And your family that I left behind, what's going to happen with them? Ya Allah. Worried. Are you there? For me, when I travel, generally a day before my sleep goes, I get worried. It's good after It's a it's a portion of adab, as the Prophet said, alayhi salatu wasalam. Are we all together? Nervous, because you don't know what can happen. You're vulnerable. You're relying on the entire environment around you. You're relying on the plane. That's scary. It's in the air. You don't know the situation of this pilot. What did he drink? What did he not drink? What, you know, how did he wake up? Is he nervous? Is he depressed? Is he suicidal? <laughs> there was a, a YouTube video I watched. Uh, a pilot who uh, he wanted to take his life so you know I don't want to live anymore because of problems he had at home and so when he makes that decision <laughs> hundreds of people are in there with him you don't know your whole entire life is in the, the pilot's hand again in the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the way of getting there you're in other people's hands meaning humans it scares us when we don't have control over everything we're limited on what's going to happen in the outcome, right? So it's adab. It's a, even if and the reason I mention all of this is because some of you might think, oh, it's not how it used to be before, but it still is. That nerve and that scaredness and all of that, that's why you're allowed to break your fast. That's why you're allowed to shorten your prayer. Are we all together? Sometimes you ask in the, on the plane, can I go and pray? I mean, I have to pray standing up, by the way. Because it's a condition for the salah. Can I pray, pray on the plane? They say no to you. And you have to find a nice way to go about it and ask and say, no, it's just going to be a minute or two. It's not going to take too long. 
I know it's hard. Uh, can you do me this big favor? And etc. You don't know what's going to happen. What they're going to say to you. Are they going to allow you to do All of this is worrying. It's concerning. So this man was a traveler. He was in that situation. And then he needed Allah Azza wa Jalla. I mean, he always needs Allah. But now he affirmed that he needs Allah. This man is not just a traveler. But all of the signs of a traveler is showing on him. Then this man, what did he do? He raised his hand up into the air and he said, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb, my Lord, my Lord. We know through a hadith which are sahih that the traveler, his dua is accepted. The Prophet said, Thalatha, three types of people. Their dua is not rejected. It's not rejected. And from the three is the traveler. Are we all together? From the three is the traveler. If a traveler calls unto Allah, it's one of the people whose dua is maqbool. Hence why many people tell you when you're traveling, Akhi, make dua for me. Yeah. A traveler's dua is not rejected. So this man, number one, underline that point. He was a traveler, number one. This is an advantage for him. It's a factor that works for him. That's one. Second thing that this man had was, he raised his hand. Yamuddu yadehi. Oh, he raised his hand. And there's an authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he said, this is number two. Number two. Second thing is, this man raised his hand. And raising your hand are from the asbabu qubulid dua. The reasons of accepting a person's dua is raf'ul yadain, raising the hands. The Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, Inna Allah hayyun kareem. إِذَا رَفَعَ إِلَيْنَ عَبْدٌ يَدَهُ لَمْ يَرُوتُهُمَا سِفْرًا Allah is kind, He's generous. Allah is kind and generous. No slave raises his hands in the sky except Allah gives him what he wants. That's number two. Underline that. This man raised his hand. That's two. Number three. The man said, يَا رَبْ يَا رَبْ That's the third one. The wordings that that man used. What did he say? He said, يَا رَبْ يَا رَبْ This is another third factor that works in advantage for him, that his dua should be accepted. Allah says in Surah Al Imran, They kept saying that, right? What did Allah say at the last page of Al Imran? Allah says, We accepted their dua. Their supplication was accepted. Allah accepts the dua of a person when he says, Ya Rabb. It's accepted. This man said, Ya Rabbi, three. Four. This man is a believer. He's not a disbeliever. What was he? He was a Muslim, number four. Allah accepts the dua of the non-Muslim. That the disbeliever, when he's on the ocean, in the sea, and the boat is sinks, or is about to sink, or, or the wave comes from all directions and he feels that he's going to die. What does he do? He throws out all of the idols, the disbeliever, and he calls on to his Lord with sincerity. And Allah then says, we save him, we bring him to the, ocean, uh, to the land, and then he goes back to his shirk that he was doing before. So it shows that Allah saved him from what? From drowning. This is a disbeliever. Allah is accepting his dua. This man's a believer. Four things this man has that allows his dua to be accepted. And guess what, brothers? It didn't work for him. It didn't work for him. It didn't work for him. Why? Because he came with the following. He came with the following. 
Pay attention. How many things did I say that he came with? Four things. He came with four things that went against it, and that's why Allah didn't give it to him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are we all together? Four things here, with four here. This man doesn't deserve any dua being accepted. The first one is This man's food is haram. This man, his food is what? His food is not haram, halal. He was eating haram food. Food, like substance, alcohol, for, you know, he drank pork, he ate pork. His income that he made, or oh, we'll come to the income, but he ate haram food. Took pork, ate it. That's, for example, haram of Am. The second thing that he did was, وَمَشْرَبُهُ haram. This man drank haram. Ha, that, that which wasn't slaughtered properly, naam. If the food wasn't slaughtered properly, it's haram, ha? He said, Ya Rabb, my Lord, my Lord. The fact that he used my Rabb, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb, my Lord, that shows it. And also, Jamhara, like large amount of scholars, they took, from, they took from this story that he was a believer because the hadith after he mentioned, Ya Yuladina Amanu, Kulu Min Tayyibati Marazaknakum, are we all together? So it was mentioned in the context of the believers. Yeah, we're going to come to it. That's a good question. Very good question. I'm coming to that. Second thing he had was he drank haram. Alcohol. He ate all. He drank, he drank haram. Substance which are haram. The third one is وَمَلْبَسُوا haram. His clothing are haram. Clothing which is haram. Either he brought it with haram income or the clothing itself are not things which are halal for anyone to wear. These are clothing for men and these are clothing for women. And then the woman goes and she starts wearing jeans, strangles herself with jeans. Yeah? Or a boy, a man comes and he wears uh, 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 silk, for example, or he, or he wears gold or chains. All of these are haram. The third one was bil harami. bil harami. It means that this man took substance which were haram. That wasn't necessarily food. Like drugs, for example. Ghida and mat'am here, the difference between it is that the word ghida is more comprehensive and larger than what? Huh? Than food. Why? Because sleep is considered in the Arabic language as ghidah. So even if he slept deliberately from that which was obligatory on him, it falls under that the ghidah was haram. Are we all together? This man came with these four. Then the Prophet said, Here the question is, is why is the disbelievers one accepted when we know the disbeliever falls into that and more? Are we all together? The reason is because the disbeliever does that on the basis that he believes is permissible. Are we all together? 
he believes these are some things he can do. And then the scholars they mention La Damba Ba'd al Kufri. There's no this there's no sin bigger than disbelief. Are we all together? Like in this man on the premise, on the ground of him knowing these things are haram, knowing these things are not allowed, knowing these things were not meant to be done by him, he did it. Ta'amudan deliberately. This is why they mention his dua won't be accepted. Naam. عن أبي محمد الحسن بن علي بن أبي طالب سبط سبط رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وريحانته رضي الله عنهما قال حفظ حفظت من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم دع ما يريبك إلى ما لا يريبك رواه التلمذي والنسائي وقال التلمذي حديث حسن صحيح this hadith, it's the Prophet ﷺ's grandson. It's the son of who? Ali ibn Abi Talib's son. Al Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. Al Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib is the man that the Prophet ﷺ said about him. Inna bni hada sayyidun wa sayuslihu Allahu bihi bina fi'atayn aadimatayn min al-Muslimin. Hassan ibn Ali, he is sayyidu. He's a master. A noble individual, the Prophet referred to him as. And because of him, Allah is going to save two great parties of the Muslims because of him. And that did happen. We all know the famous the event that took place between Ali ibn Abi Talib and Muawiyah, and they fought one another, and two big fights happened between them. The Ma'arakatu and Nehrawan and Sifin. Oh, my Nehrawan is that Ma'arakatu Jamal and Sifin happened between Muawiyah and Ali, and bloodshed, and Sahabas died, and honorable people died. Big fitna happened. Then Ali died, right? Or Ali got killed. When Ali got killed, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, zulman wa'udwana. What happened was, Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, ardah, what he did was, he saw what was taking place. He saw the dying of people. So Hassan, what did he, what did he do? He went to Sham. Remember the people, they appointed him after his father. But what did he do, Hassan? He went to Sham and he sat with Muawiyah. He said, Salaamu Alaikum Muawiyah. Wa Alaikum Salaam. Muawiyah, I don't want leadership. I've surrendered it. It's yours, take it. Really? Yes. By the way, keeping in mind, historically proven, Muawiyah never wanted leadership at the time of Ali. The, the issue between him and Ali stemmed from bring me the people who killed Uthman and then I'll give you bay'ah or not. Remember Uthman was killed, Ali just took over, and when Ali took over, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when Ali took over, Muawi was like, Uthman is my relative, him and Uthman were close, were relatives. I'm not gonna give you bay'ah until you bring me those people. By the way, Muawi is already a governor, and who appointed him as a governor? Umar radiallahu anhu. At the time of Uthman, he was still a governor. Ali came, and he was still a governor of Sham. And the people of Sham, they will, they will take their blades and their swords to defend Muawiyah. They love him to the T. He's loved by them. They honor him highly. So he said, either you bring them to me and I will judge them in Sham, or you deal with them. But I won't give bay'ah to you until um, these people are brought to justice. 
Because Allah said in the Quran, وَمَنْ قُتِلَ مَظْلُومًا فَقَدْ جَعَلْنَا لِوَلِيهِ سُلْطَانًا فَلَا يُسْرِفِ الْقَتْلِ That I am the wali, the awliya, and the family members of Uthman. And if someone is killed, فَقَدْ جَعَلْنَا لِوَلِيهِ سُلْطَانًا The people in charge of this situation is not you, Ali. It's me. I'm the sultan here because I am Uthman's cousin. Ali said, look, it's gonna, it needs organization. It's not that easy. Right now, a riot happened in Medina. Uthman couldn't come out of his house for days. They locked him in. They killed him. It's not easy to get. It's tribes that are going to get involved. It's, the whole thing looks weak. Time. So come to me and give me bay'ah and then we'll work on this. Anyways, Muawiyah said no. Ali said, you are going to give me bay'ah. And people benefited from this and then they fought one another. Ali started it and bloodshed from there. رضي الله تعالى عنهم وارضاهم may Allah be pleased with all of them those who died died and the way that the fight could be stopped was stopped are we all together here what happened was Hassan ibn Ali came to Sham and when he came to Sham he met up with Muawiyah and he said listen Muawiyah it's enough what happened the bloodshed that took place the fitness the fitness that happened and everything that took place I'm coming to you now and I'm giving you bay'ah. By default, the people of Kufa are with you because I've given you bay'ah. And I'm giving you bay'ah as the leader of the Muslims. Stop the, we don't want no fight anymore. We don't need it anymore. Radiallahu anhu. And that's what the Prophet meant. In Nabni hadha Sayyidun wa Allah bihi bayna fi'atayni azimatayni min al-Muslim. And from there, Allah saved a lot of blood from shedding. Muawiyah kept in power for 10 years and opened lands after lands for the Muslims. Brought, brought, he brought glory for the Muslims So here Hassan Ali took that decision And he did that And after six months He himself passed away After six months Hassan Ali ibn Abi Talib died So Hassan Ali was young at this time He was what? He was young He said I memorized from the Prophet And this brother shows us how important it is that we make our children memorize. That we make our children what? They memorize. There are some people, they look at their children and they say, ah, oh, I don't want to make him memorize. He's skin, he's young. Ya uh, you have to take away from your children's sleep. Take away from their sleep. Wake them up. Fajr. Yes. Until dhuhr, don't let them move. Make them memorize the Quran. I promise you when they grow older, they will love you and appreciate what you did for them. And they would admire you. Put pressure on them. Right now, they might think there's too much pressure on them. But don't worry. They'll appreciate it. Are we all together? Make them memorize everything. Give them the Quran. Make them finish it. Give them the hadith. Make them memorize it. Every black on white in the religion... Make them memorize it. Al-Hifd al-Hifd, These children's brains are sponges. Sponges. They will memorize fast and quick. There has to be an ongoing, consistent memorization project, program with the children. And not dismissed and, ah, uh, he's too young, he's tired, look at him. Ah, uh, some people do. Some of the Salaf, rahimahumullah, they used to go seek knowledge Abu al-Waqt, Abdul Wahid, he said, I was with my father. 
And what my father used to do was, he used to travel the world to gather the knowledge of hadith. And he said, I was a little kid. He said, my dad would give me two rocks. Two rocks. I'm a two stones. And he would say, take one stone in your right hand, and the other hand, take another, uh, another stone. And then he would say, wait. He'll take a rope, and he would tie his leg to my leg. Inna lillahi wa inna. A father, a tall man, with a kid. And he said, come, let's walk. Can the child keep up with the steps that his father takes? No, he can't. He said, he will make me walk with him. And I would walk, and I walk, and I can't, I can't do it. He'll say, okay, throw one rock. He'll, take, he'll make him throw one rock. And then he would say, hey, carry on walking. He says, when I cry, he says, okay, throw the other rock. I throw the other rock. And then after a while, I'm walking. He says, what's the problem? He says, dad, I can't keep up with you. If he sees, I'm dra he's dragging me. He takes off the rope and he puts me on, my, on his shoulders and we go and we sort hadith. And he said, Wallahi, I memorized every single hadith that my father heard. I memorized it with him. Are we all together, brothers? People think this is child abuse. Ah, no. Wallahi, child abuse is the one who puts television on for his children, gives them the remote and says, sit there and watch. That's child abuse. That's mentally killing the child's brain. That your child... He can only focus on when something goes fast. And his concentra concentration span is killed so much so that he can't focus on anyone talking. Why do you think these children's, children can't focus? The reason why is because of the cartoons they watch. Tom and Jerry are always running. Have you ever seen them still? Jerry is always running. Tom is run right after him. And all day the screen up and down. The child is seeing that and life has to, everything has to be like that for him. Are we all together, brothers? It has to be fast, quick. If it's not, it won't keep his concentration. Are we all together, brothers? And the reason why I realize many parents, 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 this is to you guys, many parents, because they lack it in within themselves, they're low in their enthusiasm and constituousness, they say the child can't do it. And many of the reason is because the parent can't even follow a timetable. And a, and a structure to teach his child. Oh. Yeah, yeah, ikhwa. So the parent is lassidesical. He wants to sleep. What parent wants to wake up before his work time, two hours, to sit with his child and make him memorize the Quran before he goes work? No, parents don't want that. They want to go to sleep. They want to wake up for work and go work and come back. But they still want their children to be scholars. The father of the Quran and ulama. Are we all together, brothers? Your child is not. Even if your parent doesn't know much. My mom didn't know all of the knowledge of the religion. She's a basic Somali woman. But she takes the mushaf, she used to open it. And she would take it, she had a packet of sweets next to her. This is when I was young. She had a packet of sweets. She would put it next to her legs. This is she doesn't know tafasil and and what she would do is she say to me, Hey, you finished the Quran. Surah Al-Baqarah, what's the surah after it? Down, going down. She wants to see if I know the order of the surah of the Quran. And I'll tell her, Baqarah, Ali Imran, Surah Nisa, Surah Ma'idah. She will check it. Okay, good. When I get it right, she gives me one sweet. Because of that, I know all of the surahs of the Quran, whichever direction I go. You don't have to be an alim. You don't have to be a scholar. The little thing that you have, if you work hard on it and you do so much for your child, he'll learn. Are we all together, brothers? And children, I'll tell you this, Wallahi, I'm telling you this. Children, 
they look up to you as a parent for the first 10 years of their life they're looking up to you you're their hero you're their everything they think about you they dream about you they tell everyone about you those 10 years Allah has given you as an opportunity you are their hero after those 10 years they're going to realize you're a crook no and they realize that you're not what you seem to be to them anymore and they grow out of you so they just say you know what I don't want to be like you anymore so they start to see other people as their superheroes and they start to see other people as the ones they want that's haqiqa I came across Ibn al-Qayyim's statement he said that the life of the child is three the first 10 years you as the parent set the life of that child you carve it for him you put a structure in for him you say you do this you do that you do this radio silence I'm the you're a dictator for the first 10 years you put everything in place it's done the way you say it and no one can change it that's the first 10 years the second 10 years because you did a good job for the first 10 years the second 10 years is like hey let's discuss it let's talk about it what do you think what's your take on this until he reaches 20 20 onwards your child is so smart and so clever that you can take the back seat he can run your affairs for you you the parent are told what to do and how to do it you trust your child are we all together brothers our children at the age of 30 they still need to be taken care of because the first 10 years wasn't used wisely and a lot of parents they blame their children for the way that they are right now but you didn't benefit from the chance Allah gave you are we all together if you don't benefit from that chance Allah gave you that fursa that first 10 years when they look at you and they say wow my father is this wow my mother said this are we all together if you don't benefit from that chance that you have the next 10 years is not going to be you they're, they're going to quote they're going to be quoting other people and then the next third years the third the next is they are more stronger than you and you've become weak and tired and feeble you can't carry there's not a person you can rely on so focus on their hifth. also I divide their life into three as well this is from me minnafsi me anana the first 10 years focus on their hifth. nothing else don't explain anything to them don't make them know what they're just memorize Abi memorize this Quran all of it memorize it Bulughul Maram memorize it memorize it this mem all of the books the child memorized all of it in his head filled up 10 years finished ah you memorized all of those books ah I did okay now let me explain to you what you memorized the next 10 years you are explaining to him what he memorized are we all together and the next 10 years you 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 as a parent you focus with your child what he had memorized and he actually understood that he's living by it he's implementing in his day-to-day -day life you remember that hadith you memorize take it into this action this is where are we all together brothers and muraja'ah and repetition and doing it after that guidance is then in the hands of Allah if Allah wishes, He guides whoever He wills. And if Allah doesn't, you now have nothing to be blamed with. You did the part that was upon you, and then your guidance is in the hands of Allah. Lakin, you forsaked Him for the first 20 years of His life. 
You, all you did is you just spoke, but you didn't put a program in place for the child. And guess what you say? You say, Allah guides whoever he wills. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. Allah does guide whoever he wills. But you forsake your child. You know that, right? Are we all together? And a lot of parents, I'm taking this very serious. A lot of parents, they come to you and at the age of 18, 20, 22, 23, they bring their daughter or son to you and they say, please advise my child. The question to that parent is, what were you doing for the last 18 years? Where were you? The last 20 years, where were you? The last 25 years, where were you? Are you with me, brothers? Where were you? Did you just wake up now and smell the coffee? This is the problem. Sir? So parents sometimes need to be told off, right? They need to be informed of where they're going wrong. Anyone who's making your child learn the Quran and making your child memorize the Quran and making your child become solid in the Quran, ya ikhwa, have utmost respect for them. Respect these people who are nurturing hufad in the Quran, hufad in the sunnah. For you, they've taken a responsibility for you. It's important that you understand as parents. And by all means of necessary that it's been done, let it be. Don't fuss about it. Or else what you're going to cry about is not this situation, or in this case, or this or that. What you're going to be crying about is the next 20 years, what are they going to be doing? Are we all together? When we were young, our teachers were not giving us lollipops. And they were not playing hide and seek with us. They were harsh and they were tough on us. But now we look back at our teachers and we say, May Allah honor them for dunya wa akhirah. May Allah shower the, His mercy onto them. Our parents were not easy on us when we were learning. But now looking back at it, maybe that time I was like, okay, what are they hitting me for? Why am I being shouted at? Why am I being told? But now that I look back at it, I, I, I appreciate what they did. So always remember, it's not the moment. It's outside the moment. It's outside when they grow older. So the Prophet used to give consideration to the youngsters and the youths and he would make them memorize. Look what he's saying in Hassan ibn Ali. He said, I memorized it from the Prophet. And what he memorized from him is, Leave off that which brings doubt and go to that which doesn't bring you doubt. This, is, this hadith is very powerful. Stay away from something that's doubtful and go towards that which has, that which has certainty in it. This hadith, by the way, it's so small in wording, but powerful in meaning and application. صح? In your life, think about it. There are so many things that you're doing and you're not sure about. You could use this for your business and your investments and your go to what you are sure about. And leave off what? What you're doubting, doubtful about. Now. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من حسن إسلام المرء تركه ما لا يعنيه حديث حسن رواه الترمذي وغيره هكذا. This hadith Abu Hurairah narrated it, and it says that the Prophet said from the excellence of a person, a person's Islam being good, is he leaves off that which doesn't concern him. If you want to know a person is a good Muslim, he leaves off that which doesn't concern him. If you see a person speaking about that which doesn't concern him, and it is none of his business, then realize that there's something weak about this person's Islam. 
a person's Islam being good is that they leave off that which doesn't concern them. Ya ikhwa, what concerns you is so much that you can't finish. Why are you in the middle of something that doesn't concern you, that has nothing to do with you? Why are you in the middle of that? You have so much that's obligatory on you and then, then you have the mustahabbat, the recommended things that you couldn't even finish if you were given the life of Nabi Nuh. You wouldn't be able to finish it. But we as humans, we like to indulge and speak about and talk about and get into that which doesn't concern us. Brothers, what doesn't concern us are four things. The haram doesn't concern us. The first thing that doesn't concern us is the haram. Leave of that which doesn't concern you. Number one is the haram. The second thing is al-makruhat. The disliked things. The third one is al-mutashabihat. The ambiguous things that we spoke about. That's not clear to you. It also doesn't concern you. Leave it. Avoid it. Take the safer path. Huh? The scholars are differ differing amongst themselves. Is this allowed or is this not allowed? Don't make your religion based upon Leave of the ambiguous things. And the fourth thing is Fudulul Mubahat. The Fudulul Mubahat is the, the things that are permitted for you, the things that are permitted for you more than it. For example, we're allowed to talk to each other and to speak with one another and converse. We're allowed to, but don't overdo it. Leave of that. Some people, they love to go to gatherings and social meetings and stuff. It's good to an extent, to a limit. Every day he's in a gatherings and he's in the coffee shop and he's always talking and chatting and chit-chatting and everything. This is fudulul mubahat. It's mubah to go and sit. And it's good to gather with the brothers sometimes and see how you guys are doing and catch up with one another. It's good. Allah mubarik. Lakin don't overdo it. Okay, don't over. Overdo it. Also eating too much. So some people, they, they're full. They've eaten. They've had their lunch. They have their breakfast. They had their dinner. Okay? And they made a term from it. Snack. They call it what? Snack. So, um, by the way, I'm not saying snack is haram. You can have snacks, brothers. But what I'm saying is that don't overdo anything. It's overdoing everything. This is also, it's good to leave it. Are we all together? Even if you're meeting good people, righteous people, knowledgeable people, and there's gatherings where you're coming to each other, you're meeting each other, Ibn al-Qayyim said it's also, leave, it's, it's also good to leave it. Why? Because when you meet one another, everyone wants to say the most eloquent of speech. It affects your intentions. These are the halaqa, these are the places where good brothers you're going to meet, students of knowledge. You're going to sit with them. But what do you do? When you go there, you say, mm, let me the best words I can use here and everybody becomes boasting about what quote they brought or what evidences they provided or and it affects the ikhlas and the sincerity uh, so he said even that overdoing it can be problematic <laughs> brothers we're talking about good places don't overdo it don't overdo it naam عن أبي حمزة أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه خادم الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه رواه البخاري ومسلم 
This hadith says, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه. Anas ibn Malik and his khadim Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he served the Prophet for 10 years. Anas ibn Malik. He said, for 10 years I was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I never did something and he said to me, why did you do this? And I never forgot something and he said to me, why did you forget it? Meaning that for 10 years the Prophet never told me off. That is shocking. Subhanallah, the akhlaq and the adab of the Prophet. I worked and I served him for 10 years and he never told me off. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's very, very hard. Yeah? That's very, very, very hard. Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that the Prophet said, La ahadukum, that one of you is not a believer. Then iman is being negated from these people, right? The type of negation here, brothers, is... Remember when we divided the iman, we divided into how many? Two or three? Aslul iman, the foundation of iman. The wajib of iman and the mustahab of iman, right? That which is negated in this hadith is the wajib iman, the middle one, the second. Because it's not aslul iman. If it's aslul iman that's being negated here, it means you're a kafir. And it's not. It doesn't mean you're a kafir. It means that you're leaving off something which is obligatory. And Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah, in his kitab al-Iman, he says that whenever you see nafyul iman, it can never be nafyul mustahab. Mustahab is never negated. It's either aslul iman or wajibul iman. Best. Never does the nusus al negate al imanul mustahab. Never. Ever. It only negates aslul iman or kamalul wajib. The wajib of the iman. Anyway, anyways, la yu'minu ahadukum, one of you is not a believer until he loves for his brother what he loves for, for himself. You're not, a belie- you're not a true believer, true believer. Until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. The word akhi here doesn't mean a man, a brother. It means also sister. So it means a Muslim loving for another Muslim. A sister loves for another sister. A brother loves it for another brother. It means all of that. Good. Here's a question. Do I have to love everything for my brother? Even my wife? Huh? Does the hadith involve all of that? So you, my wife, I have to love it for another brother? What about if I don't? Which is the case, right? This goes back to loving for your brother religious issues. Okay? You want every Muslim to go to Jannah? You want everybody to do the wajibat? You want everybody to do the mustahabat? Loving for your brother means here religious issues. That's what it means. Now. Yeah, it's a major sin, yeah. Oh, no, it's a, yeah, it's a sin, a major sin now. If in the religion, in the religion, not dunya. If you don't love for your, all your Muslim brothers to enter Jannah and to be righteous and for them to be noble, in the, if you don't like that for all the Muslims, then there is a sickness of the heart in you. Okay? Huh. I know, you can, that's not a problem. 
You can love all the worldly issues for your brothers as well. But the hadith is not negating iman from that. It's your choice. You can do what you want. But you don't have to love... You. The hadith is not talking about the worldly issues. It's talking about what? Religious issues. It's talking about what? Religious issues. Naam. عن ابن الحديث الرابع عشر عن ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يحل دم امرئ مسلم إلا بإحدى ثلاث الثيب الزاني والنفس, والنفس بالنفس والتارك لدينه المفارق للجماعة رواه البخاري ومسلم This hadith mentions that it's permissible for a Islamic court to execute a person when three things happen a man who is married and what does out of wedlock a person who kills another person and a person who leaves the fold of al-islam these three an islamic court can execute that person okay i repeat an islamic court it's not bakr amr and zayd okay that they see a person and they say oh wallah he's a disbeliever this man and he, you're, the, you're the judge and the jury and everything. You... No, Abedin. No. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن الرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر فليقل خيرا أو ليصمت ومن كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر فليكرم جاره وَمَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيُكْرِمْ ضَيْفَهِ رواه البخاري ومسلم This hadith, it mentioned three things to really show that your belief of Allah and the Day of Judgment is complete. Three things. Three things are an indication and an evidence to show that your belief of Allah and the Day of Judgment is solid and is strong. The first one is saying good or be silent the second one is honoring your neighbor and the third one is taking care of your your guests here's the question who's a neighbor who is a neighbor the neighbor there are no evidences from the quran or the sunnah that clearly state what a neighbor is so this goes back to what? Urf, the custom of the people. Whatever the people consider it, that's what the people consider it. No problem. Okay? So some of the fuqaha, when they say 40 doors from there and 40 doors from there, and if you say that in the UK where all the uh, buildings are stuck together, subhanAllah, a lot of people will enter it. And if you say the UAE, then maybe it's a little number of people because the buildings the, can be up, there's spaces. Like in the UK, all the houses are stuck together. So when you go 40 like that, or you go 40 doors like that, it's a lot of, it's a lot of doors that you're going to go to. Ala kulli hal, there's no statement to say that the jar is what? The state, there's no evidence to show that the jar, this is what it means, or this is the, what it doesn't mean. Are we all together? So this goes back to what? This goes back to the urf, the custom of the people. But what is a guest? You know, there's someone who always comes to your house and they overstay and they just like to stay and they love to stay. 
how long are they a guest? Are they always a guest? Will they always be a guest? Nah, let's go. Let's go into the concept of guest. Okay. A guest is a person who has two characteristics. The word life we're talking about here. That's why it's not even good to use the word guest in English. But it's a loose term. The word life that the hadith used, it means when two characteristics are found. Number one, an yakuna min kharijil balad. He can't be from the land that you're in. He came to you from Abu Dhabi. Okay? Or he came to you from another place. That's number one. If, he's, if he lives in Sharjah with you, he is not a daif in the Arabic language. He's called a za'ir, a visitor. He's a za'ir, he's a visitor. Okay? A lot of people now are going to be struggling. Have your guests, serve me, brother. Number two. Is The person has to have intended you. It was you they came to that place for. Are we all together? But if he came here for medical, okay, or he came for something else, and you're just, let me go by you, he's also not a, he's also not a guest. This is not a, this is not a life. These two conditions, when they are present, he's a life. Are we all together? This one, who's now a life, if he knocks on your door, you can't say no. Shar'an. He meets those two conditions. Brother, you're in trouble. If you, have, if you haven't got ready, let him in. Let, or if it's a sister, the sister should let her in. And now you all need to honor and take care of this person. For two of these characters now. This is Jar. This is the neighbor. The far neighbor, the close neighbor. That's what it means. We're going to go into that, inshallah ta'ala. Some of the fuqaha, they use that as a delil to use it. But it's not strong. What about if it's your wife and she lives in another city? Your wife's not a guest. It's her house. Uh, it's her house. She can come in and stay. Mm-hmm. So she can stay. It's her house. Huh? Yeah, you're, you're, if you're married, the wife never is the guest. The husband is the guest. The husband is the guest. Uh, huh? How long is a person considered to be a guest? Hey, what's the evidence? Three days you have to take care of them. Brothers. Some of the fuqaha and some of the ulama, the fatawa that they brought, like Shaykh Muhammad Ibrahim Ali Shaykh, he said, three days, if that guest comes, you have to take, take work off. If it's the urf of your land and the custom of that people that you stay with the guest, brother, you have to. You have to call into your work and say, look, I, I, can't, I have to be off for three days. I can't come. We're all together, brothers. Shaykh Muhammad Ibrahim's fatwa is that. If the custom of those people know that to be ikram, honoring the guest. If, like for example, they don't know that as to be honoring the guest, it's normal. The guest, they all know in that land that um, the guest can be just given a spare key. He can take care of himself when you're out of work and when you come back, you take care of him. Now, uh, 
Yeah, so his intent is to you. He's coming to you. He didn't intend anything else other than you. He doesn't want anyone else. I mean, of course, if he comes to the city, maybe he might want to buy some things from particular shops, but he didn't intend to go to anyone else as a guest or anyone else as a visiting. He solemnly only knows you when he's coming to you. Okay? He is your guest. You take care of him and you help him. Brothers, we need to move forward, hey? The issue of get, honoring the guest goes back to the urf, the custom of the people. If the neighbor doesn't want you to talk to him and he doesn't want you to, then that's how he likes it. You deal with him like that. By the way, the guests here, here the guests that we're talking about here, and the jar uh, that we're talking here, yashmalul kafir wal muslim. It's the muslim and the kafir. It's the muslim and the, and the kafir. Both of them. They come to you, they're your guests. You have to honor them. It's Am. Are we all together, brothers? It is what? It is Am. It's general. Huh? Three days. Only three days. After three days, you don't kick him out. <laughs> Only three days, but you don't kick him out after three days. It's just that after three days, he's a member of the family now. Meaning, you don't give him a membership. But he doesn't get the special treatment. If the family was sleeping all on the floor, brother, now the mattress is gone. Uh, we rented a mattress for you. It's gone. You're going to have to sleep on the floor with us. Whatever we eat, you eat with us. You don't get anything special. The special treatment that he got for those three days is now over. And one of the things, Wallahi, Allahumma barik, that I remember growing up, that now is dying out, is that I remember my parents would go shopping. And they would buy plates and they would buy pots and pans and they would be known as the pots and the pans and the plates of the guests. It was bought for them. It's just, it's in the wardrobe. We can never drink with it. Our cups break. No one touches it. It's for when the guests come. When they come. That's an honorable way of being as Muslims. That you live your life Preparing for the meeting, that's ikram al-daif. That you give them that treatment. And trust me, it raises children who are going to know the value of, neighbor, of, of guests. We are living at a time when people hate guests coming over. billah, he's, he's back again. <laughs> We're living at a time like that. Especially countries that don't have these Islamic ethics and these Islamic... They, they find guests as burden. And they find their duyuf as burden. And Islam, they enjoy it. They what? They enjoy their guests. And they admire the guests. I'll tell you a story. I think I told you guys this story many times. But I find it funny, so I'm going to share it again. There was a man who came to a village. And he was a traveler. Okay, he was a what? He was a traveler. He came to the village and the Arabs and their custom, and even my country, and I'm, I've seen the same in India as well, was that whenever someone comes, people all want to take care of him. People fight over guests. They fight and they get angry over the guest. Like, he's mine. No, he's not. No, he, I swear by Allah, he's mine. People fight over him. 
You see in, you go to the jungle in Somalia, you see people fight, they don't have nothing. They have nothing, you see, they don't have anything to give. But they're fighting over taking care of you. You see, they, they go too overboard. You know they can't, they can't do this. They're slaughtering their only one sheep that they have for you because they find it a problem to let you go without having meat. And they've not had meat for days. You'll see that. It's very, it's very pre pre prevalent. Anyways, there was a man who came to a village. A people saw him. He was new to the village. They said, who are you? Come. You're our guest. He said, no, I have to go somewhere. No, no, for tonight, stay with us. We'll let you go tomorrow. He said, okay. But they weren't ready for him. They don't have the means for him. But they're not going to let him go. So they took him in. They brought him to their, to their house. And they prepared food for him. The food that they prepared for him was the kids' food, their food. They took away from their own little food that they had. All of it, they put it together. And they gave it to him. So what they did is, whilst the food was being cooked, they brought him a bucket told him wash your hands this man he drank it he drank the, the, the entire water then they went they brought him milk and he drank it then they went back they were shocked they're now worried because this is all that they have <laughs> so they went and they brought him the food they put the food in front of him he finished it he didn't leave anything whatever they brought the other plate won't come except he's finished this one. They didn't know what to give to him. Then they wanted to know his story. So look, okay, we, we need to know who this man is. They've given him the kid's food, the dessert, next week's food. They slaughtered it for him. They gave it to him. This man eats everything. So what happened was they sat with him and they said to him, hey, what's your story? Where are you going? Where are you from? How are you? He said, I'm, I'm ill said okay I'm from town so and so oh that was very far and where are you heading I'm heading to the land so and so okay what is your illness my appetite is low <laughs> hey I'm heading to that village or that town for a doctor medical attention I need medical attention and inshallah ta'ala on my way back I'll come by you guys <laughs> 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 they said, if you know Allah at the day of judgment, please don't take this route. <laughs> so, Ikram al-Daif, honoring the guest is a very powerful thing in our religion. Naam. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رجلا قال للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أوصني قال لا تغضب فردد مرارا قال لا تغضب رواه البخاري this hadith is very powerful, extremely powerful. And many of people's fatawa and questions and problems around the world goes back to this one hadith, which is the man that they came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Oh, Sunni, advise me. And the Prophet said, La taghdab. Don't get angry. Sit down and look at how many things you did because you were angry. Don't get angry. La taghdab. And the Prophet kept repeating. The man said, Oh, Sini, advise me. The Prophet said, La taghdab. He said, Okay, advise me, O Messenger of Allah. La taghdab. Don't get angry. He repeated this so many times. 
Brothers, anger is what made so many people's relationships get destroyed. They're, they became angry so much that they divorced their spouse because of anger. And then they called the Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Hey, at midnight, you wake up out of your bed. Hey, what's the problem, brother? Wallahi, brother, alhamdulillah, you picked up the phone. I have questions to ask. Hey, what's the question? I divorced my wife. Hey, I was angry. Okay. Um, did the divorce happen? Uh, who divorces his wife laughing? People generally divorce their wife or their spouse when they're angry. That's how it happens. Generally, that's how it happens. So what can I, the sheikh or the da'i or the teacher cannot change ahkam, hukum of Allah. His job is just to transmit to you what the hukum of Allah is. Are we all together? So you tell the person, brother, it's a divorce. That, that which just took place is a divorce. You ask the brother questions, it seems like it's divorce. Ah, oh, brother, inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to call another sheikh. <laughs> inshallah, may Allah make it easy for you. The thing is that when you get angry, brothers, there are steps that you need to take that the sharia are prescribed for you. Don't get angry. Uh, one thing you need to know is don't get angry. Uh, question here is don't get angry. Is that possible? So why did the Prophet advise him not to get angry? Why will the Prophet advise this man to not get angry when we know that anger will come from everybody? True or false? The reason why the Prophet ﷺ prohibited him this is two ways. Write this down. Stay away from the things that will lead you to becoming angry. That's what the Prophet meant. Stay away from the things that will lead you to becoming angry. There's a particular individual, when you sit with them, they get under your skin. They always make you angry, sir. There are some people like that, right? Have you, you all know a person, but when you sit with them, you, you always get angry, sir. Avoid them. Stay away from them. Stay away from people who can't make you angry. Don't sit with them and say, I'm going to be strong. Avoid them. Second one is, if you become angry, and you are angry, then don't execute what your heart and mind is telling you at that moment. Don't execute it. Don't listen to it. And I believe one of the best ways that one should, uh, should do that is wherever this thing is happening, brothers, walk away from it. Straight away when you get angry, just get away from it. Some people, they don't like to leave. They want to stay and argue even. Don't. Whether it's your wife, whether it's a friend, whether it's somebody, just walk away. Okay, what do you do? You just leave. The best thing is to go have a nice fresh air. Also, if you're standing up, sit down. Change your position. Change the way that you are. Do wudu. This is, it gets rid of it. But one of the things is, brothers, walk away. Don't insist on standing in that position. Don't argue back. Fresh air. Go outside. Do tawaf around the block and the area. Not seven times. Go around the area, just walk around, fresh air, come back. I promise you, you will think straight and the way that you feel will go away. I, yes, at that moment when you're angry, you think you want this. It's not true. You don't want this. Are we all together? Wallahi, the strongest person is not the one who wrestles people. The Prophet told us, sallallahu Our strong person is not the one that when he grabs people, he body slams them. And he, he destroys, he's, that's not the strongest person. 
Yeah, he goes to those UFC people. No, the person who is strong is when he becomes angry. Subhanallah, you can see how he controls himself. That is quwa wallahi. That is really strong. People who have that ability, they are so angry. Like in Allah said about them, they are so angry, but you can't tell. They have the ability to hold their anger. Breathe. No, no, you don't breathe. They hold their anger in and they believe that this anger that they have, I'm not going to bring it out. I'm not even going to show it. This is a high level. This is a high level. And that's a strong individual. Someone who's truly strong. Now. عن أبي يعلى شداد بن أوس رضي الله عنه عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن الله كتب الإحسان على كل شيء فإذا قتلتم فأحسنوا القتلة وإذا ذبحتم فأحسنوا الذبحة وليحد أحدكم شفرته فليرح ذبيحته رواه مسلم فليرح أو وليرح this hadith it talks about doing everything with excellence some people they like to do things half-heartedly half-heartedly one of the characteristics of the believers is that when they do things they do it with perfection um, the hadith says in Allah ihsana the word kataba write this down the word kitaba is two types kataba kitaba is two types there's a kitaba kawniya and there's a kitaba shar'iya. Kitaba kawniya means it's Allah universally writ this. And Allah universally, He prescribed this. And there's shar'i, meaning Allah tabarak wa ta'ala, He legislated this. Okay? The evidence for the, the kitaba al kawniya is, وَلَقَدْ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مِنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ أَنَّ الْأَرْضَ يَرِثُهَا مِنْ عِبَادِ الصَّالِحُونَ it's the universal prescription. That's the first one. Universal prescription. Allah writ that the believers are going to inherit this earth. Universally. And the second one is legislation. And it's the one Allah used in the ayah. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu kutiba alaykum usiyamu kama kutiba ala ladheena min qablikum la'allakum tatakoon. That's the shari one. That's the shari one. That's the shari one. And this hadith, in Allah kataba, it means the shar'i. It doesn't mean the universal one. Meaning Allah legislated shar'an ala kulli shay'in that everything is, that you do with excellence. Allah legislated for us believers and prescribed for us in our sharia that we do everything with excellence. Brothers, don't do things half-heartedly. It's actually good that you do things in, that are little but excellent than a lot. But that's not excellent. Are you with me, brothers? Don't take on a lot of things and just do everything. What's it called? Jack of all trades? Master of none. No, master of none, huh? Don't be like that. Be a person who's, who's knowledgeable, who sticks to one thing and. In Allah, Katab al Ihsan ala kulli shaykh. Now. It could be. Not necessarily all the case, always. But it could be. If the issue is a religious issue, yes. If it's a religious issue, it could be. And if it's a worldly issue, it doesn't have to necessarily be a sin, but it could cause you harm because you're not going to get anywhere with it. 
So these characteristics of being the best. Brothers, if you're going to be a bus driver, be the best bus driver. Sarahatan. If you're going to be a, 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 a chef, be the best chef. If you're going to be a pilot, then be the best pilot. Whatever you do, be a muhsin. What do you Be a? That's what the hadith means. And number one in the sharia, whatever you do in the sharia, be a muhsin. Have excellence in what you do. And then, then the Prophet gave us an example. If you're going to kill an animal, then kill it correctly. Don't just, some people what they do is they want to slaughter an animal they do it with a blade that's not sharpened they show the other animal when they're slaughtering the other animal and they do it in front of the other animal this goes against Ihsan are we all together sharpen your blade when you're doing it and also um, make it easy for the animal if it's a camel, for instance, the way that you can make it fast, quickly, and effectively is number one, you don't show the blade. You don't do it. In front of one camel, and then the other one camel can see. Why are you torturing animals like that? Are we all together, brothers? Islam came with animal rights, by the way, before anything else. Uh, animal rights is here. It's present here. How do you slaughter a camel that you make it die very fast? Is that the camel has four legs? Okay. What you do is... The last one, either on the right or left, you tie it. You tie it up, you slaughter it from the neck, and then what's going to happen? It's going to fall from the side that the leg is not. When it fits the floor, the nafs goes out fast, and it doesn't scuffle for too long. That is, make it smooth and easy for the animal to die. That's why it's good for the animal to be slaughtered when it's what? Other than the camel, on the ground. Are we all together? That the person, he slaughters the animal whilst lying on the ground. Because the animal run. Are we all together? It will go into places, it will hurt itself. Other, as for the camels, the only animal that you make, you make it stand. That's what Allah said. That's the camel. Because it's a big animal. Are we all together, brothers? So we take care of the way we do things we don't. We don't bring a blade that's old and rusted and you're like, animal is, you're slaughtering the animal for five minutes and it's not dying. And then you bring the other one in front of it and it's looking at its mother being slaughtered like that. That goes against Ihsan. Are we all together? That goes against Ihsan. Naam. Al-Hadith al-Thamin Ashar. عن أبي ذر جند بن جنادة وأبي عبد الرحمن معاذ بن جبل رضي الله عنهما عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اتق الله حيثما كنت وأتبع السيئة الحسنة تمحها وخالق الناس بخلق حسن رواه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن وفي بعض النسخ حسن صحيح this hadith mentions three rights. Write this down. This hadith mentions what? Three rights. That in your life, every single day, you have to fulfill these three rights. The first one is Allah's rights. Having taqwa of Allah, wa ta'ala. That's the first rights. The second one is 
which is whenever you do a sin, follow it up with something good. And the third one is, The people around you. Deal with them in good manners and good way. This hadith is very comprehensive and it's very strong like that. The rights of Allah, the rights of your nafs, and the rights of those who are around you. The rights of Allah is a taqwa. And we spoke about taqwa. The rights of your nafs is when you do a mistake and you come with a shortcoming. You did a mistake, follow it up with something good. Um, one prayer to the other prayers in expiation. One salah to the other salah is an expiation. One jum'ah to the other jum'ah is an expiation. One Ramadan to the other Ramadan is an expiation. All of them, they are expiating for you your minor sins. As for your major sins, the Prophet said you come with repentance. The third one is hasan. Deal with the people in good. Brothers, what does it mean deal with the people in good? Some people, they don't understand good manners with the people and what it means, how to be good to the people. Ya ikhwa, being, having good manners with the people is that you bring for them good and you keep away from them harm. That's what good manners is. You bring people good in their worldly and their hereafter affairs. You bring them good. And you withhold harm from them. You don't bring problems to people. You don't do that. Ah. Naam. عن أبي العباس عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال كنت خلف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم يوما فقال يا غلام إني أعلمك كلمات احفظ الله يحفظك احفظ الله تجده تجاهك إذا سألت فاسأل الله وإذا استعنت فاستعن بالله وعلم أن الأمة لو اجتمعت على أن ينفعوك بشيء لم ينفعوك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله لك وإن اجتمعوا, وإن اجتمعوا على أن يضروك بشيء لم يضروك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله عليك رفعت الأقلام وجف وجفت, وجفت الصحف رواه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح وفي رواية غير الترمذي احفظ الله تجده أمامك تعرف 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 إلى الله في الرخاء يعرفك في الشدة واعلم أنما أنما أخطأت أخطأ أخطأ أخطأك لم يكن ليصيب ليصيبك وما أصابك لم يكن ليخطئك واعلم أن النصر مع الصبر وأن الفرج مع الكرب وأن مع العسر يسرا The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم here he's talking to Abdullah ibn Abbas and the Prophet said to him he said I was behind the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم this by the way shows the humility of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and how humble he was how humble the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام was he sat with his small companions and he also sat with the senior. Like if you look at the old, old generation, our old generation, they found it to be very embarrassing for them to sit with the children. 
Like, they found that to be very embarrassing. I like, will never sit with the youngsters. Uh, is that common in the uh, uh, Indian culture? Are they like that? Like you don't find their elders, they don't enjoy sitting with the kids. They say, ah, come on, man, I'm not going to sit with you. Are they like that? Huh? Some of them. Some of them are like that. But it's not a cultural thing. Uh -huh. I speak for the Somalis. <laughs> they are. This is how they are, generally speaking. They find it. They don't sit with the, the little kids. And the Prophet ﷺ was humble enough to sit with the little kids, to talk to them, and to sit and converse with them. So he sat with him on a riding beast. And he said, Ya Wulam, O young boy, I'm going to teach you some words. Look how powerful it is. These words that the Prophet taught this young boy, he didn't belittle him. Now we are benefiting from it. These children that you see today, they are going to be the future of tomorrow. If you dismiss them now, there's people in the world that are not going to dismiss them. They're going to pour everything they want inside them. Are we all together? We need to benefit from the opportunity of taking our children and the little kids we see to making sure that we benefit them. We tell them words of encouragement and we also strengthen their belief and their thiqah of Allah Azza wa Jalla. He said, Ya Ghulam, oh young boy, I'm going to teach you some words. Protect and safeguard Allah's boundaries. Allah will protect you and take care of you. Brothers, do you want Allah to protect you and take care of you? Take care of his religion first. This is a qa'idah that you need to memorize. That you will only be cared for and protected from harm when you take care of Allah's religion. And then after what he said, Allah will only protect your land. Allah will only protect you. Allah will only protect your family and your kids and your offspring when you safeguard the boundaries set by Allah. And Allah used this, by the way, many places in the Quran. In Tansurullah, Yansurkum wa yuthabbit akadamakum. Fadkurullah, Yadkurkum. Are we all together? It's, it's very common in the Quran, which the scholars then brought a principle from it, which is Al Jaza'u min jinsil amal. That the reward is in accordance to the action. Like you will only get what you worked for, brothers. It's wrong on your side to expect to be taken care of. And by the way, this hadith, wallahi, I, I love this hadith. It's one of the most beloved hadiths to me because of the, bit, the gems that are in this hadith. Brothers, Allah will not only protect for you your nafs and your wealth and your everything, but Allah will protect your offspring when you die, hatta for you. You all know the, uh, the man whose children... You know, he died from them when they were young and then their building collapsed and then Nabiullah Musa and Khadir came and they built it. What did Allah mention? The reason why Khadir built their house for them. Both of their parents were what? Were righteous. That's why Khadir was protecting their wealth for them. Are we all together, brothers? If you die and you leave behind your children and you are a noble person and a righteous person, don't worry. Don't worry about your children. Don't worry, worry, don't worry about your offspring. Allah will take care of them. Because you came with what? Yahfadka. Allah will protect Sa'id ibn al-Musayyab used to say to his children, my children, I'm praying Qiyamul Layl. I'm fasting on these voluntary prayers. Uh, voluntary. I'm doing all of this what? 
so you guys can be protected from any harm or any calamities or problems. I'm doing this for Allah to protect you guys. Are we all together? And then he will recite the ayah, وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا Are you with me, brothers? Protecting that and doing that, brothers, it's going to for sure make Allah protect you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah says in the Quran, Angels are going to come and their job is nothing else just to protect you. Abdullah ibn Abbas and he said, these angels when they come down, they will come down and they will protect you and they will protect you from every harm that comes your way. But of course, if the Qadr comes and it was written for this to happen, then he said, they slightly die, move away from the direction, the harm that Allah or whatever Allah wanted for it to happen to you would happen to you and then they will take care of you. Other than that, Allah will protect you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Qadr, no one can stop it. Huh? The Qadr, no one can stop that. But generally, you'll be protected. And even that which you think is then thrown at you from the Qadr, it's only there to strengthen your iman and to remind you of the blessings that you have. But you'll be taken care of. And Allah will protect you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's always remember, that we need to protect Allah's religion take care of the boundaries that were set by the religion and Allah will protect us and our children. Yeah, be mindful of Allah. It's a ve- this, this issue of being mindful of Allah and being conscious of Allah, this particular hadith, if we didn't have just Dora that we were limited in time, I would have bought the other kitab written by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali. It's called Nurul Iqtibas. He wrote, he, he done a, this hadith by itself he made a whole book on it. Ibn Rajab al hanbali Do you know what he called it? He called it Nurul Iqtibas. Fi wasiyyatin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-Ibn Abbas. Amma it's called Mishkat. Nurul Iqtibas. Fi Mishkatin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-Ibn Abbas. Something like that. The advice that the Prophet gave to Ibn Abbas. Ibn Rajab al hanbali The tabaa, the best tabaa for the kitab is Darul Bashair. Darul Bashair. They published it. Brothers, I beg you guys. As'alukum billah. I ask you for the sake of Allah. It's also translated in English. Okay? It's also translated in English. Please go and read the sharh of this hadith by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali. Please, I beg you. He brings phenomenal stories of the Salaf and how Allah protected them. Phenomenal. He brings durar, durar, gems. Gems. The book is in English. It's the advice of the Prophet ibn Abbas or something like that. But it's in English. I saw it with my two eyes. It's in English. Okay? And it's in Arabic. And if you can read the Arabic, even better. He brings, quotes what it means to protect. Where do you protect from your body parts? And stuff like that. He brings many aqwal. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says... Protecting your tongue and that which comes from it. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali talks about what it really means. He breaks it down. And then when he finishes that, he comes to by itself. He breaks it down. And he breaks down Allah protects you in two ways. He says this. Allah protects you in two ways. Allah will protect your worldly affairs for you. And Allah will protect the hereafter for you. And then he brings all the evidences to show that Allah will protect the dunya for you. And he mentions in there, 
four things Allah will protect the dunya for you. Your nafs, Allah will protect it. Your ahl, your family, Allah will protect it. Your wealth, Allah will protect it. Sorry, those three he mentions. Your mal, mal, your wealth. He mentions all that. And he brings delay for each one. And then he goes to your deen, the religion, and how Allah protects your religion. He brings the famous hadith we're going to come to is um, that the person doesn't take a step, doesn't do anything until Allah Taala protects his hearing and his seeing and his walking. We're going to see the hadith. Huh? He brings all these narrations and all these quotes. I can't go through it right now. It is gems. You go to that kitab. You are going to be really amazed with the way forward in your life and how, what is it that you need. He brings a couple of stories. He brings the story of Abu Tib, Abu Tib al-Tabari. Abu Tib al-Tabari, they said he reached 100 and something age. Brothers, 100 and something. And then he jumped from a, 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 his riding beast. Jumped from him. And he jumped on the ground. And his students, they came and they said, Inna lillahi wa inna shaykh, What are you doing? You're 100 and something. You're jumping from a riding beast. Don't you, are you not scared of fracturing your bone? Are you not scared of hurting yourself? And then he said something very powerful. He said, When we were young, we protected our body. Now that we're old, Allah is protecting us. us. Ibn Rajab brings it under there. Some of the Salaf, they came across a man on the road, begging the people, asking the people, please help me. And then they said, this man, he forsaked Ihfadillah. He didn't come with it. I mean, he forsaked Allah when he was young. When he was young. And now, Allah forsaked him subhanahu wa ta'ala. People who listen to music, who love to listen to music, who love to, they, they grow up losing their memory when they grow old. Filling their brains with all of this. Okay? Dementia and the Alzheimer's and all these things happen to them. Those who st- from, the, from a young age nurtured themselves upon the Quran and this and that. Ya ikhwa, at an old age. Because look, when you were young, if you came with ihfadillah, leave it to Allah when you grow old. He will take care of you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are we all together? So this hadith, by the way, brothers, is go to that book. I cannot cover all of that which has been mentioned. Lakin it is it's a book that deserves to be written in ink of gold. That kitab. And Ibn Rajib's works are all like that. He has a kitab on, uh, on, on, on the... Uh, uh, on the uh, um, that the dead three things follow him into his grave. You know the, the famous hadith? That when the, the person dies, three people follow him to his... Three things follow him to his grave. Two come back and one remains. His family and his wealth come back and his actions remain. Ibn Rajab wrote a whole book on this explanation of that hadith. Are we all together? He also made an explanation on the hadith Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'an Oh Allah, I ask you beneficial knowledge. He wrote a whole book on this hadith. That's how Ibn Rajab was. Every hadith, he'll write an explanation on it. There's another, hadith, another book. 
he wrote on the hadith of two wolves that were starved they were starved the two wolves were starved they were not given food for a long time and then randomly those two wolves were left in a herd of sheep what are they going to do to it? how are they going to be? You, no comment right? you all know what's going to happen the Prophet said the way that wealth and loving position harms the person's religion is worse than the wolf will do to the sheep. Are we all together? And then Ibn Rajab said, you know, this hadith is, it deserves a whole explanation. So he wrote a book on that one as well. بَدَّأَ الْإِسْلَامُ غَرِيبًا وَسَوْفَ يَعُودُ غَرِيبًا كَمَا بَدَأَ فَطُوبَ لِلْغُرَبَاءِ He wrote a whole explanation on that book, that hadith. Ibn Rajab, by the way, it's sad, Allah, he is very sad that no one actually stood up to work on his books. Like, you know how, like, get all the manuscripts and make a good publication for his works no one's actually did that the English the Arabic publications uh, they're not well served they, des they deserve much better service Hakikatan. and if someone did stand up for it and did tahqiq of the works of Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali and really went after it wallahi it would be amazing some of his books are published like Jam Ulum al-Hikam and his kitab Fathul Bari, Sharh Sahil Bukhari. Well, you know, it's actually amazing. He was the one who explained Sahil Bukhari before Ibn Hajar al Asqalani. Ibn Hajar al Asqalani took the name Fathul Bari from Ibn Rajab al Hanbali. And guess where he, Ibn Rajab died when he was explaining Sahil Bukhari? Kitab al Janais. The book of the funerals when he was in there, he died and he never finished it. Rahimahullah, Rahmatan Wasi'ah. He was one of the students of Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Rajab al Hanbali. He was what? One of the students of uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim. Get that book, brothers. Tonight, go home, buy, download it from the internet, and try to read it. This hadith. This, uh, this hadith. Inshallah, ta'ala, you'll find a lot of benefits in it. See ya. Did you get it, right? The Arabic is called Mishkatul... The legacy of the Prophet, huh? The Arabic is called Nurul Iqtibas Fi Mishkati Wasiyyati Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ibn Abbas Nurul Iqtibas Fi Mishkati Wasiyyati Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ibn Abbas In English is what? The legacy The legacy There is Allahumma barik The legacy Kalamullah There you go Everyone go home today That's your homework Download that book It's called The Legacy Of the Prophet Download it, sit down, and read it. In English, if you want to read it, you can. In Arabic, it's called Nurul Iqtibas, fi Nurul Iqtibas, fi Mishkati Wasiyati Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Abbas, something like that. Read it. You, you guys would understand why I'm emphasizing on this book, how great it is. And then what you do is, by the way, just start downloading all of his books that are like that. In English, Alhamdulillah. Darus uh, Sunnah, I think it was. They're the ones who spent time working on his books. So download all of his books. Ibn Rajab al Hanbali, the minute you see it, download it. Ah, don't waste time. Download it and read it. I told you yesterday, he's from the scholars whose explanations of hadith is based on another hadith. Like unique what he does. He wants to explain this hadith for you, he brings another riwayah, another wording that explains the hadith. Then once he finishes that, he goes to the kalam of the sahabas and then the tabi'een. 
he fills up the whole book with aqwal, statements of the Salaf. Fills it up with Salaf. Ibn Rajab has got a very amazing way of explaining hadiths. I mentioned that yesterday. Let's take the last hadith, inshallah ta'ala, for today. Naam. الحديث العشرون عن أبي مسعود عقبة بن عمر الأنصاري البدري رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن مما أدرك الناس من, من كلام النبوة الأولى إذا لم تستحي فاصنع ما شئت رواه البخاري أبي, عقب أبي مسعود عقبة بن عامر عقبة بن عمر الأنصاري He said I heard the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم say that inna mimma adraka al-nasi min kalam al-nubuwati al-ula idha lam tastahli fasna'a mashit one of the wise 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 statements that was inherited from the previous nations it's one of the wise proverbs that was said by the previous nations is what? if you are not shy do what you want if you are not shy do what you want if you are not shy do what you want what does this actually mean? does it mean I'm not shy? the Prophet let me do what I want can someone say that? I don't have shyness. So the Prophet ﷺ here, he's basically letting me do what I want. Allahumma barik. So I can go and do what I want. Is that what he means? No, it doesn't. It means the following. It means the following. The first one is, if this thing is something not, this is the two meanings that the scholars took from this hadith. The first one is, if this thing is something that you should not be shy of, then don't be shy and do it. And that's the concept of where the scholars got from. The shy one and the arrogant one never learn. So when it comes to seeking knowledge, don't be shy. Ah, don't be shy. That's what the hadith is saying to you. Don't be shy and do what you need to be doing by asking the question. Don't be shy, brother. Don't feel like, oh, they're going to think I don't know. They're going to think I'm dumb. They're going to think I'm uneducated. They're going to start questioning my mindset. Don't ever think that to yourself. In my mind, I don't know other people, but for me, there's never a dumb question from a student. It's never dumb. That question can be answered and it can be looked into. The student, don't be shy. Ask your question. Put the question forward. Don't let it but stick in your head if it's a question you need to know. Okay? And if you're shy and you don't engage yourself into learning, brothers, you're not going to harm anyone except yourself and you're going to remain ignorant. Are we all together? It's not embarrassing to say, I don't know this. Can you explain this to me? Can you break it down for me? Because what is more embarrassing is that you don't know this tomorrow and you were sitting in the class. That's more worse, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing is that the hadith means is that it's not what it seems like, the hadith. The other one, first one is what it seemed like. That's what was apparent. Like in this one, it's not apparent. It means that if you don't show shyness in what you're doing, then you are going to suffer severely by what Allah is going to do to you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's tahdeed and wa'id. It's like when your parents say to you, you want to go and play with your friends, huh? Okay, go. Okay, go. When your parents say that to you, you're like, no, no, I'm staying. 
Okay, go and play with your friends is not a permission they gave you. Sah? You're like, no, Bob, I'm staying. I'm staying, Bob. I am not going nowhere. Sah? This is wa'id. That's what Allah says. Qul aminu bi awla tu'minu. Believe if you want or don't believe if you want. فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرُ Anyone who wants to believe, let him believe. And the one who wants to disbelieve, let him disbelieve. No, no. It means you're going to be destroyed if you disbelieve. It's wa'id and tahdeed. The second one is, uh, the second way, yeah? No, the second one is divided into two. That's either warning. The second one was it's not apparent. It's not what it seems apparent. And that's in two ways. Number one, it's a warning. Okay, it's a warning. You've been warned. The B is that, no, it's not. It's that, the Prophet is giving us a statement. He's telling us something. It's a khabar. He's informing us. He's telling us that shyness is what prevents a person from doing evil. And that when this factor is missing, the person just generally does what is evil. And we should never belittle a person because of their, them feeling shy. Shy is a good thing. It's a good trait. It's never a bad thing. We're living at a time... When someone shows shyness, we're like, oh man, look at this little kid. Man up, man. That's what we say to the person. No, no, shyness is a good trait and it's something very attractive in a person when they're shy. It's a very good trait. And at this time that we're living in, this is the characteristics that has been fought with the most. To take that away from people, to be shy. Are you there? And to be nervous. And some people feel very uncomfortable to say, I'm shy. Because it makes you look what? Weak. No, no, it's not. Lies. You're not weak. Having shyness is actually an honorable characteristics. It's a praiseworthy position. It means there's iman in your heart. It means there's khair in you. It's what? There's khair in you. And we know a lie growing up in the West. Going to school. When you're in school and you're dealing with Things will be said and you feel shy and all they do is they laugh at you. Oh, look at him. Oh. They make you feel what? Weak and pathetic. And they make you look like... So the person says, no, I'm not shy. That's what they... Reverse psychology. So I'm not shy. I'm not shy whatsoever. And then he just throws himself into the evil that he's doing. So that's the concept that they want. When somebody says to you, I'm shy, you tell them, that's good, keep that way. It's a very good thing. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, peer pressure is very powerful. How do you gain shyness? How do you get it? Um, first is that there's an amount of shyness that's wahbiyun. Is gifted by Allah. There is an amount of shyness that's already given to everyone, and that's it's in everybody. Okay. This is something Allah placed in us. There's is a, a had or a kam in every individual of shyness that Allah put in you. Everyone. Everyone. Over time, that gets removed. It gets weakened. The second type is kasbiyun. Kasbiyun is you have to work for it. 
And this comes through um, knowing Allah wa ta'ala and glorifying Him. Looking into the religion more. Um, looking at the universal signs and that which is around you and how small you are in comparison to that. That grows more. It increases the shyness to the extent that this person becomes extremely shy. And the Messenger وسلم, was the shyest of those who are shy. It was said that the Prophet was so shy. He was shyer than a virgin who was never out of her house. You know, there's the Arabs, they used to have women that was always at home, never came out. She didn't know the world at all. And whenever she saw the world, she was always scared of it. Because all she knows is the four walls in her house. That's how they used to. They used to have one. The Prophet ﷺ was more shyer than that girl. Well, some of the women, they would come to the Prophet ﷺ and they would ask him questions. And they would sometimes ask the Prophet ﷺ questions that were so... And the Prophet would become so shy. How they asked the question. Like the woman who said to the Prophet ﷺ, my menstruation happens to me, what do I do? The Prophet told her what to do. And then she said, okay, how do I clean myself? And he told her. And then she said, do I then follow the atharudam, the effect, the, 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 the blood like that? And the Prophet became very shy how she asked the question and how she posed it to him. So Aisha took the woman by the hand and she took her and she answered the questions first. She said, this is what the answer is. This is what the answer is. The Prophet was so shy, alayhi salatu wasalam, so shy that the Sahabas would come to his house sometimes. And they would not knock. And they would stay there for too long. And he would feel shy to say to them, leave. It's a bit of burden on me that you guys are here for too long. And then Allah Taala had to come and send an ayah for him, Surah Al-Hazab. Don't just come to the Prophet's house without permission. And in that same ayah, Allah says, Inna Allah la min al-haqq. Allah is not shy of the truth. Allah will tell you as it is. But the Prophet was shy. Are we all together? So shyness, brothers, is a good trait. And if you lose these characteristics of shyness, you are vulnerable and you are open to everything. Everything. It's what stops it. Inshallah ta'ala, tomorrow we'll finish the Kitab Al-Arba'un Nawiyah Ma'a. No, just Arba'un Nawiyah. And we will be doing the... Uh, the Nukhbatul Fikr tomorrow as well. So tomorrow, we will do before Salatu Al-Isha, we'll finish this book, inshaAllah ta'ala, and then we will do the Kitab Nukhbatul Fikr, Fi Mustalahi Ahlil Athar by Ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, which is in science of uh, Hadith. Barakallahu feekum wa jazakumullahu khairah.